0: At CFB Winning Edge, we are working hard to update our 2021 FBS team profiles with new stats and information, player and coach ratings and rankings, and projected depth charts to reflect transfer news, injuries, NFL draft decisions, and super seniors taking advantage of the extra year of eligibility from the NCAA. In our final push before we make our new 2021 team profiles available to our Tier 2 Patreon supporters, we're offering Tier 2 access to new Tier 1 patrons who sign up for an annual membership in the month of March. Thank you to our Patreon supporters who help fund our show, annual updates, and special projects. Visit patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge for more info.
1: Welcome back, everybody. It's College Football Winning Edge, the podcast edition. I'm your host, Scott Bogman, joined as always by Nicholas Ian Allen, the owner and proprietor of CFB Winning Edge. Follow him on the Twitter at CFB Winning Edge and Xavier Trish. Follow him on the Twitter at Xavier underscore Trish, T R I C H E for everyone wondering. We are continuing our look into the teams moving forward here. We are at 80 and 71. Once again, this is based on how they finished in the CFP winning edge uh, projections from last season in 2020. So at number 80, we're just going to dive in on Fresno state. Uh, Fresno state finished three and three last year under Kalen DeBoer. Uh, they had, they were three, and one before some cancellations, then they lost in Nevada and new Mexico at uh, the end of the season. And um, this year they come in with the 76 ranked recruiting class fourth in the mountain West. Eleven transfers out, six transfers in, including uh, former Utah running back Jordan Wilmore, who was a four star. So uh, it looks like they're moving in the right direction, although that is a lot of transfers out for one team, Nick. So uh, what are your thoughts on uh, Fresno State moving forward into 2021 here?
0: Well, like a like a lot of teams that we've talked about already, and and I'm sure we'll continue to talk about, you know, once we get through the, basically the second half of, of uh, or the top half of, of these final rankings from last year, it's, it's difficult to know what things we can really say we learned about Fresno State in 2020 compared to, uh, you know, other, other teams that got a little bit more of a full season, didn't have interruptions. I mean, obviously the Mountain West was one of those conferences that started late. And then as you mentioned, uh, there, towards the end of the year, they had a couple of games canceled. They had uh, you know some some uh, issues with uh, COVID, whether it was whether within their program or or opponents. I don't remember the specific cases uh, for Fresno State, but you know that can lead to some disruptions. And they lost their opener against Hawaii, but really bounced back and and looked really good, especially on offense. Uh, we're really kind of clicking towards you know, that, that three game winning streak. And then end of the year, you know, the loss to Nevada, not a, not an upset by any stretch, but the the loss to New Mexico absolutely was, I I do have a memory of that being one of our biggest, uh, edges as far as a single game projection compared to the, uh, you know, the, the Las Vegas or or offshore point spreads. And, you know, I was, I, I wasn't, like really upset about it, but I was a little bit upset about it because our our uh, numbers felt so strongly that Fresno State was going to be able to win that game. by, I don't remember, but you know, three touchdowns or whatever, and they were only like a two touchdown favorite. So uh, that was a huge upset. I do remember that. That was a disappointing end to the season. Disappointing to lose those two games. But again, you know, were they at full strength? I know Ronnie Rivers. They're they're a great running back. Who really is one of my favorite running backs uh, in college football coming into this year. Uh, he had been a little banged up towards the end of the season. Um, they were finally getting a little healthier at the wide receiver position. Uh, Zane Pope missed all but the last two games because of injury, but he, you know, came back and and had a solid, uh, final two games of the year for them. You know, they, that, that position is going to be a bit of a strength and, and, with the you mentioned the transfer portal and and how they've had a lot of guys going in and picked up a few guys coming out and and you know had some success with transfers last year with Jay Haner starting quarterback who you know really looked uh, pretty impressive as a passer uh, coming over from Washington but uh, looking at the guys who were leaving and comparing our 2020 FBS team profiles and, and we do highlight transfers after the season and, you know, keep, keep making all those updates. Most of the players that were leaving aren't really major contributors might be on the, you know, on the two deep, but uh, very few, you know, played a lot of snaps uh, just sort of based at, at first glance. So I, I think that it's traditional turnover that we might expect with a new head coach with the board come in his first year, you know, now that they finally you know started playing games, guys see where they fall on the depth chart in the pecking order, as far as playing time. And some guys, you know, might just not see a path to playing time. So might uh, just decide to, to move on and, and get a change of scenery there. And maybe they just don't fit the schemes on either side of the football or, or whatever it is. And, and then of course, you know, there's a lot more movement now than there used to be anyway. So I don't I don't think I'm worried specifically about Fresno State. There are teams out there that'll have, you know, eight, nine, ten, whatever transfers that they're guys who are you know, starters played a lot of football and, and that sort of thing. And and the Fresno State names that I'm seeing don't really uh, seem to be that type of player. So I, I think even though they did take a, a little bit of a step back, I mean they they were four and eight in 2019, won three games last year, so it doesn't seem like a step back. But their team performance rating coming into 2020, they averaged uh, 57th in our team performance. Ratings coming into the year and and to finish 74th in team performance and and then to finish 80th in our power rankings is a little bit of an underachievement, I think, compared to some of the talent numbers. I mean, you know, Fresno State uh, does recruit pretty well for the Mountain West, has traditionally at least, and and did bring in, uh, you know, a couple of guys, Hayner specifically being a pretty high. Uh, recruit when he signed with Washington. So, you know they they underachieve their talent numbers, their roster strength numbers, according to our projections. But I think overall, this is a, a program that is going to move in the right direction. Like I, I really do like Ronnie Rivers. I really like Jalen Cropper as a playmaker at the wide receiver. Uh, position wide receiver as a whole should be a strength. They are losing their best offensive lineman, but you know, they they picked up a really a, a complete diamond in the rough and in, in David uh, Perales who, you know, came in at nine tackles for loss, 18 total pressures, according to PFF. And, and he was an unrated Juco transfer ends up being a, a all mountain West performer. So, you know, I, I liked a, enough of what I saw despite a, a real, uh, you know lack of continuity uh, and despite some hiccups here and there I, I think Fresno State is probably a team that's going to rise in our preseason power rankings they finished sixth in the Mountain West 80th overall I could see them starting next year as high as you know maybe 60 something like that especially with a healthy Ronnie Rivers with Jake Hayner uh, you know having another year of experience as a, as a starter and and uh, just uh, you know some some solid players who've stepped up on the defensive side of the ball as well. So I, I think Fresno State, uh, yeah, I, again, repeating myself, I think, but uh, maybe we didn't learn a, a ton, but I, I saw enough positive signs that I think they're going to be uh, a contender in the mountain west in, in 2021. might not win at all, but I, I think they certainly are in the top half of the conference and and uh, a team that can compete with those teams, you know, towards the top of
1: the standings. Javier, what are your thoughts on Fresno
2: State going into 2021? Yeah, this is one of those teams that they're either going to make my old saying true, you know, older garbage just smells bad or their continuity is really going to help them next year. This is a really senior-laden team. I mean, you look around their roster and at every position there is seniors and juniors uh they only had one redshirt freshman start last year and that was at left guard um you know you're looking at a uh a senior led in defense as well for the most part and with a lot of them coming back for their super senior year I'm excited for this Fresno State team I mean you know I think that Nick's absolutely right the only thing that concerns me is their lack of continuity last year for a team that was so old you know there was a lot of juniors on this fr- on this team last year and you almost expect a team like that in a covid shortened year with Uh, no real off season to still be able to kind of hit the ground running uh, just simply based off of the fact of, you know, they've played together for such a long time. Uh, But personally, I I think this Fresno state team unfortunately did not benefit from what was a really a weird year in their conference last year. I think they were one of the teams that started really slow. Unlike a San Jose state who kind of really benefited from last year, finishing seven and one, they found their footing kind of, towards the middle towards the middle to end part of the season but I think if they had a been in a full year I think we're looking at a 6 and 4 ball club. So I think this is a bowl eligible team next year. When we look at the the transfer portal, I think that they filled positions of need. Uh I think that you know they went to the transfer portal and they hit on the transfer portal in a lot of places we talked about Ty Jones coming from Washington, Isaac Garcia coming from Oregon State, uh, Elijah Gates, a cornerback, a four-star out of high school coming from UCLA. That's huge for them as well. Uh, Jordan Wilmore, as, as Nick alluded to, uh, the kid coming out of Utah. So I think they hit on that. Unfortunately for them, that the, the shortened year uh, struggled in the in the uh, recruiting portal for them. They finished fourth in the Mountain West this year, 76th nationally after. Uh, but they're trending upward next year. Uh, so far, they have the number one ranked Mountain. Mountain West uh, Mountain West recruiting class so far. and right now, as of right now, they're ranked fortieth in uh, in recruiting. So definitely trending upwards. I completely agree with Nick. I think there's a boat eligible ball club, and I think they're trending upward.
0: A little bit of uh, uh, rust on on my part. We missed last week and and coming back to these uh, uh, reviews, I forgot to touch on some of the important stats that we reference. And, and uh, anytime I'm talking about yards per play uh, or points per drive, that's in reference to uh, some great work that Brian from has done uh, on his website, bcftoys.com. Uh, he does adjustments for garbage time and, and all of that. So these numbers are all adjusted. If I'm talking about uh, expected points added or success rate, uh, that's our friend Parker Fleming at uh, CFP hyphen graphs.com those are also adjusted for for uh, non-garbage stats against FBS opponents and then yards per play or excuse me the yards per pass attempt those are raw but available on uh, CFP stats so uh, Fresno State finished pretty high in in a lot of those categories they were uh, in the top 20 in the country in yards per pass attempt on offense top 30 uh, or excuse me, uh, 33rd in net yards per pass attempt and success rate. They were top 25 in net success uh, success rate, 24th in the country in, in success rate allowed. Defensively, they were top 50 in all three categories for uh, points per drive. They were top 50 in EPA margin and EPA per play on offense, top 30 in EPA per play on defense. So, uh, you know, they, they were a, a solid, uh, you know, a solid team. Throughout the course of the year, so you know those advanced stats, I think, give us a little bit of an indication that, despite you know taking a step back in, in team performance, finishing in the 70s and the 80s, uh, as far as a lot of the you know statistics, what we saw on the field in important you know in in you know the flow of a game when it hadn't gotten to garbage time and things like that, performed pretty well. So I did want to mention that before we move on uh, to Georgia State.
1: And they've got to be one of Nick's favorite teams, too, because they play so late on the West Coast. So he probably gets to see a lot of Fresno State, uh, you know, at the end of the night. Right, Nick?
0: Yeah, got to got to see, uh, I think, pretty much every Fresno State game live. So, uh, yeah, did did enjoy getting to see, you know, some of those some of those late games last year for sure.
1: All right. So the next team that we have here is Georgia State. And they beat Western Kentucky in uh, the Lending Tree Bowl. So, obviously, as we move up and up and up as far as these teams, we get more and more teams that were in bowl games and were successful in bowl games. They do have their entire secondary returning, which is huge. Uh, they have a couple guys leaving for the draft. Wide receiver Cor- Cornelius McCoy, who was uh, a big one in CFF for the last couple years, is gone. Linebacker Trajan Stevens McQueen is also gone. As far as replacing these guys, they have the 103rd ranked recruiting class in the nation, fifth in the Sun Belt. So that's not bad. Only five transfers out, but only three in. And they did get themselves a new offensive line coach, uh, Emin Nagavi, who was the uh, ULM O line coach last season. So, uh, Nick, your thoughts on uh, this uh, Georgia State team finished at four and four last year.
0: I was pretty impressed with Georgia State and the more I dug into the numbers the more impressed I was actually I made a mistake when talking about Fresno State when I was uh, talking about EPA per play Fresno State was 65th defensively Georgia State was top 30 they were they were 29th in the country uh, in EPA per play on defense they were top 50 in points per drive allowed top 50 in success rate against and you know, that, that might not sound great, but Georgia State was one of the worst defenses in the country last year. And and I did just run earlier today, probably should have done this, you know, long ago, but, but actually uh, compared 2019 team performance on offense, defense, and overall to, uh, you know, last year to see who was the most improved at each particular unit. And Georgia State was the fourth most improved defense In the country, they improved their team performance rating uh, by almost 12 points. Only three teams were better. And and a lot of that was an improved pass rush. A lot of that was, uh, you know, guys on the, you know, in the front seven defensive line and and linebacker. Jordan Stration was somebody that came up a little bit in, in a the end of our discussion yesterday about defensive line transfers and and he's moving on to South Carolina. They're really going to miss him going to miss a few other uh, playmakers as well that you mentioned, but, you know, really, really impressive turnaround in one year for Georgia state. Defensively, I mean, there were six defensive linemen who had three or more uh, production points, uh, according to our numbers. Uh, they had an all Sunbelt Congress defensive end, Harjit Willis. He had 11 uh, production points. And, and that's, you know, pretty impressive that if, if it's the first time you're listening to us, we do individual player ratings that are based on, you know, each player's uh, projected talent as far as their 247 sports rating coming out of high school but we add uh, points for reaching certain statistical benchmarks whether it's you know, sacks or, or a PFF rating or, uh, you know, total pressures, things like that. So to get double digits as, as a defensive lineman is pretty impressive. I mean, that that's a pretty elite season uh, as far as that level of production. And, you know, uh, Hardrick Willis was, was one of those guys. But uh, there were multiple Georgia State players that, you know, sort of reached that level. Uh, and it was just very, very impressive based on, Really, sort of, you know, where they came into the season. Didn't have very high expectations for Georgia State defensively. uh, And they will have some turnover there. You mentioned a couple of guys uh, who are moving on, and and the linebacker, you know, position as a whole is going to be hit somewhat hard. But a lot of guys up front will be back, and a lot of guys in the secondary as well. So I think there is a chance that uh, Georgia State you know, might at least be able to maintain uh, sort of the, the level that they've reached last year, statis- uh, you know, defensively, statistically. And then I think the offense uh, really is, is in position to be very, very good. I, I really liked watching uh, Quad Brown at quarterback, Cornelius Brown, the fourth, is, is a, uh, you know, not, not the most polished passer yet, but he's a guy who's got a big frame uh, and and runs really, you know, is, is a quarterback who kind of glides. Uh, he's, he's big, you know, 6'5", real skinny still, but uh, will fill out maybe, but, you know, has long legs that just sort of eat up big chunks of yards uh, seemingly with ease when he when he decides to run he's got about nine production points last year as a redshirt freshman first time starter uh he's going to enter next year with a a, you know overall player rating in the mid 80s so uh that's certainly a, a big building block on offense and then you know they've got some playmakers as well Destin Coates at running back uh Tucker Gregg uh, did some good things last year, put up some good uh, numbers and sort of a, uh, you know, backup role for the most part, but Coates uh, has had some injuries, uh, you know, missed a, missed a couple of games and Greg was able to come in and, and do some really good things. And they've got depth there as well with James Williams, uh, South Carolina transfer, former defensive back, looked pretty good and in, in some limited options, uh, limited opportunities as well. But, you know, they've got Sam Pinkney, all Sunbelt, uh, wide receiver. They've got, Uh, Some good production at the tight end position. I know both Roger Carter and Aubrey Payne were seniors. I haven't seen specifically yet. If those guys are are coming back, I I, uh, will hope to have all those final numbers in the next couple of weeks. But, you know, if a couple of guys coming back for for, uh, super senior years, Uh, I think Georgia State offensively is going to be able to uh, maintain a top 50 level or, or maybe even a little bit better. They were 49th in yards per play, 49th EPA per play on offense, 44th in points per drive. You know, that's that's consistency. And that that is a good step forward. Success rate needs to get a little bit better. They were only 77th in success rate on offense. Uh, but top 60 in yards per pass attempt and, and with that experience and, and a guy who I think Brown specifically, you know, he's a little bit boomer bust last year. Uh, but as he continues to, to grow with experience and, and at the quarterback position, you know, get a full season as a starter under his belt, I think he's only going to get better. And, and so uh, assuming that, uh, you know, some of his. Uh, weapons around him, Peatney specifically, you know, will be back. Most of the offensive line comes back. You know, only one senior uh, last year, Shamarius Gilmore, and and so you know, if he is gone, uh, which I'm I'm not sure that he is necessarily, but it, even if he is, that unit should you know come back at, at uh, almost full capacity. So I think there's a lot to like about Georgia State. I mean, they they went to back to back bowl games. They were competitive in in. Uh, you know most of the games that they played last year really just laid one egg against coastal carolina but uh for the most part were were you know pretty competitive all, all year and, and it paid off with a uh with a bowl victory so you know i i, I know that that uh, georgia state is near and dear to, to Xavier's heart so he's got plenty to to say <laughs> about the panthers but uh yeah i, I thought it was a a solid season and and potentially a stepping stone to, you know, maybe really competing toward the, the top end of the Sunbelt standings next year.
1: Xavier, I mean, uh, wow. G- Georgia State, what do you, you thinking for 2021? Can they get better and, uh, you know, improve like Nick says?
2: I think they get better. And the real reason why I think they get better next year is I think the rest of the Sunbelt got worse. Uh, you know, you look at a team like, a, um, a Louisiana Lafayette. I know you like to be called Louisiana, but as I was in the Sun Belt uh, tournament two days ago, they ran an ad for their own school that they called themselves Louisiana Lafayette. So, oh. so I'm not I'm not doing it this time. Um, but, you know, they're losing so much talent on the offensive end for them. You expect them to be at least incrementally worse than they were last year. And I think offensively for Georgia State, they're going to be really good this year. Everybody's staying. Uh, Nick to 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 your uh to answer your question uh everybody's decided to come back scott you said cornelius mccoy was leaving i don't think so
1: yeah uh, i don't think I, he... I i that was that was on nick's notes
2: oh because i was like he's been tweeting he's coming back the entire offseason that's
1: my bad it may, no, no, maybe, no, I, maybe i read it lo- wrong so no, no. um Oh, uh, he Very was right. all Sunbelt Conference. That's what I missed. Oh, okay, it, it's on the same line as Trajan uh, Trajan Stevens McQueen leaving. So that's my bad.
2: Yeah, I was, I was like, I had to go check his Twitter real quick. I was like, I was ready, ready to go. Nick, <laughs> and Nick
1: was glaring at me. Yeah, so that's my. Bad. Well, I,
2: yeah, it was, it was
1: news to me. But then
0: I realized, <laughs> as you said it, that I was like, well, you know, I, I know Scott does his research and, and <laughs> has been reading. Uh, different, <laughs> maybe he just saw something that I missed. So no, I that's was going to go bad. back and check it, but, but, uh, but yeah, no, uh, good, good, uh, detective work yes, on, on, nice
1: catch part. on that. <laughs> yes,
2: absolutely. And, and I think that, you know, they're bringing in the transfer, uh, Josias Cradell from UCF. I think that's going to give them another weapon. Um, he's six four, one ninety five, 195. And, and I think that going down the field was really their only issue genuinely because Sam Pickney was kind of the only big target outside of the, um, outside of the tight ends, I think another year with uh, quad Brown, as he's more affectionately called by us at the quarterback position, he's going to be better with being able to go to his third and fourth options this year. Uh, he won't be so dead set on throwing it to his number one. And I think that's just going to make them a better team uh, going into next year. Their offensive line has been one of the best offensive lines in the sun, over the last two years, that continues to be the case. Uh, they have one of the deepest running back cores, in the Sun Belt um, with Destin Coach, Tucker Greg Jemias Williams, and when, a guy we didn't talk about who was hurt last year, but Seth Page, who had an amazing 2019, did not get to play last year. I think that's going to be even better for them as well. The only worry for them and pretty much every Georgia State football fan has been the defense over the last two years and whether or not they can stop anybody. Uh, and I think they're going to really miss Jordan Strachan. I mean, this was a guy who came in and exploded. Uh, you know, He was, I think, three or four times Sun Belt Player of the Week. This is a guy that was consistently – the best pass rusher made the quarterback uncomfortable and making up for his or making up for, you know, the loss of his uh, ability to get to the quarterback is going to be a a bit of an issue. Uh, So, so, but at the same time, the secondary gets older and gets way more experience going into this year. And Tavius Lane was a freshman that nobody saw coming. He had a really good year. Uh, Tyler Gore is a guy that you expect is going to be better next year as well. And going into his senior year, Quavian White, once again probably the best corner on the ball club. So, the not only yes, they're losing a lot of quarterback pressure, but you expect the secondary to be incrementally better than what they were last year. Uh so I'm really excited for this Georgia State team. I like I said earlier, I think that they get better also because the conference got worse. So I think when you look at it, this team, I think this is a team because we'll get to the team in Statesboro in a, in a couple of in a, in a couple of teams, but I think that they get, you know, they can I don't know about competing for a Sunbelt championship. I'm not going that far, but an eight, nine win team, I think is more than possible. And if you're a betting man, you've got to look at that Georgia state at Auburn game and think that there's a possibility that they win that game. I, I just, you know, we've talked about how Auburn looks like one of the batter teams in the sec. Georgia state has a pedigree of beating middle of the road to bad sec teams. Shout out to Tennessee. You got to think fourth game of the year, at Auburn, they might be sleeping as the very next game is SEC play. This is an opportunity for them to beat Auburn, which I think is a team that's currently on a downward trend, losing guys like Seth Williams. So I think hey, if you're a betting person, I think put a little bit of money on Georgia State to win that ball game. I think this is an 8-9 win ball club. And they're trending upwards in the recruiting trail as well, and so I think that you're also seeing that people are, are starting to drink the Kool-Aid going in Atlanta. They finished fifth in the S uh, in the Sun Belt this year after finishing ninth the previous year. So I think Georgia State's trending upward, and that's not my bias at all.
1: <laughs> no, I, think I, they I
0: drink uh, Coca-Cola in, in
1: Atlanta. That's, that's right. right. We yeah, just, we, we just it. call it Coke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what kind of Coke y'all want? Y'all want a Dr Pepper? or You want an orange? What What kind of Coke y'all want? <laughs> so. Uh, <laughs> so uh the next team on the list here is Kansas State and we talk about a team that was a bottle rocket last year it was absolutely uh, Kansas State uh, you know they beat Oklahoma was their huge win and then they didn't win another game or I, I'm not sure if that was the last one but they started off four and one finished four and six so it wasn't great for them uh, they bring in the 56 recruited uh, ranked recruiting class this season which is nice overall, especially for the teams that we've been talking about. But it is seventh in the Big Twelve, so not even middle of the pack there. Thirteen transfers out, a bunch of guys leaving K State. Only five transfers in Nick, but all the the entirety of the offensive line is coming back, which I know is a huge piece for them. So, uh, your thoughts on K State moving into twenty twenty one?
0: Yeah, it's it's uh, it was a a bit of a strange year. They they were one of the high profile. Uh, big 12 upsets in the first full weekend of the season, lost to Arkansas State. That game ended up being on uh, national broadcast television. So any college football fan in the country probably watched them lose that game and they turn around the, the following week and, and knocked off Oklahoma one four in a row and, you know, looked uh, for a little bit like they might be a, a big 12 title contender. And, and then just sort of the, the defense fell apart and, and Really struggled uh, towards the end of the year, really to stop anybody. And unfortunately for Kansas State, the defense, looking ahead to 2021, has got you know the more questions than uh, the offense does. They're losing. Their top pass rusher, uh, Wyatt Hubert, probably going to get drafted. Uh, somebody who impressed at the Senior Bowl specifically. He was very, very productive. Had you know, 13 tackles for loss, eight and a half sacks, 42 total pressures last year, and and he is gone. They do have a little bit of depth, uh, you know, coming off the edge that you know they'll they'll be able to replace some of that production. But Hubert you know, for a few years now has been one of the best players on the K-State defense. They also lost both of their starting linebackers. They're going to be end up uh, moving a former starting safety, um, uh, excuse me, uh, Wayne Jones to linebacker to uh, kind of help, you know, ease that transition there. Uh, ap- apparently, uh, sophomore linebacker, Nick Allen's not quite ready for uh, a starting job. They had to move. Uh, Wayne Jones there, so
2: little little
0: disappointing, but that, that's okay. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean it's 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 interesting. They did get Jerron McPherson back, who will be a super senior. Uh, was their leading tackler had uh, you know uh, tied for the team lead in, in interceptions. So you know that that's a little bit of good news, but. Uh, the front seven, and then they also lost AJ Parker. You know, arguably their top corner. A uh, little bit of, little bit of concern. Not only because they struggled so much defensively last year, ranked 90th in the country in yards per play allowed, 101st EPA per play on defense, 81st in points per drive allowed, uh, 81st in yards per pass attempt allowed, and you know the best number according to the five that, that we look at, 58th. In success rate against. So, you know, they, uh, analytically speaking, struggled a lot. Uh, and they're just in raw terms. I mean, I, I uh, happen to have a replay of the, the K-State-Texas game uh, on most of the day today. And, and you know, Texas scored 69 points, probably could have put uh, more than that up if, if they wanted to. So not, not great on that side of the football, but there are Certainly, some things to be excited about on offense. One, Skylar Thompson's coming back. Uh, he will be a super senior. He started the first three games last year before suffering a uh, upper body injury, shoulder, arm, something. I don't, I don't think we got uh, an official confirmation on what it was, but know that he had some off season surgery, wasn't even able to start throwing a football until February. So he's not going to do much in spring practice, if anything, but, you know, he's a guy who's a multi-year starter, uh, very, very experienced, and, and somebody that uh, will, uh, you know, get that offense playing at a pretty high level. Uh, if he can't go for whatever reason, Will Howard got a lot of experience as a true freshman last year. Deuce Vaughn, also a true freshman. Uh, I know that, that uh, it, it, you know, during the CFF uh season there was uh our buddy john lob uh, had a, a group together to, to do some uh awards and he put me in charge of the the true freshman of the year writing a, a little blurb and, and deuce vaughn was a pretty easy selection for that i mean he was he some very incredible very, games. very productive and you know had a it, it looked for a minute like he might be hitting a freshman wall toward the middle of the year but he really came on strong those last couple of games and, and had a, a great game against Texas. So, you know, leading rusher, leading receiver for Kansas state, that's maybe not the best sign because they didn't have a wide receiver with more than 300 yards last year, despite having some talent there. Uh, you know, Malik Knowles, I, I was pretty impressed with in 2019. And, and then they do have, uh, you know, an all conference kick returner as well that you you think will, you know, be able to to become a playmaker on offense, but just hasn't really been able to to get consistent there either. They are losing their uh, talented tight end Briley Moore came in as a, a one year uh, graduate transfer and and actually, Led the team in uh, receptions, I believe, but uh, was a was a weapon at the tight end position. So you know you're you're hoping somebody will step up, whether it's Malik Knowles, whether it's Philip Brooks, who is that uh, dynamic return man had what two or three punt returns for touchdowns last year. So uh, they they've got some guys that can build a really fun offense. I mean, Douche Von. Deuce Bond being able to do a lot of different things uh, with some guys that, that are uh, skilled and and athletic there at the receiver position enough is coming back that you think, okay, you know, we, we can build upon this. And and as you mentioned with the offensive line, but they're probably going to have to win uh, quite a few shootouts because losing arguably your four best defensive players from a unit that ranks. You know in the 70s, 80s, and, and even 90s, and a lot of uh, the numbers that, that we pay attention to is is a difficult spot to be in looking ahead to, to next season. So, I think that Kansas State, uh, unfortunately, will be in a similar position next year, kind of fighting for uh, a 500 record, fighting to get bowl eligible. The, the schedule flips a little bit for them, where it's very very difficult at the front end. Uh, they've got a couple of pretty tough non conference games in Stanford and Nevada, and then they play Oklahoma State, Oklahoma, and Iowa State three in a row to open Big Twelve play. So, so I think unfortunately Kansas State uh, to you know get back to five hundred to get bowl eligible is going to have to win a lot of shootouts, uh, and it's just not a great spot to be in losing. Uh, the, the you know, guy that the top four arguably defensive players from a unit that struggled as much as they did last year. So uh, I think that, you know, looking ahead at the schedule, they play two difficult non-conference games against Stanford and Nevada. And then the first three big 12 opponents being Oklahoma State, Oklahoma and Iowa State. It, it's going to be they're going to have to really be careful not to fall in a hole that's too big to climb out. But, you know, if they can win some shootouts, if uh, Skylar Thompson comes back fully healthy and and is that uh, dynamic, you know, dual threat guy, uh, they can they can knock off anybody. They beat Oklahoma two years in a row. But um, I I think overall, I, I struggle to see Kansas State being able to take a step forward record wise. Uh, or, or, you know, really a step forward in, in our power rankings uh, until they show some real improvement on defense. And, and just sort of looking at how the personnel is going to shake out uh, at this point, you know, it's 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 difficult to envision that, that they're going to be in a position to really uh, play much better defense next year.
1: Xavier, your thoughts on K-State. Are they going to be able to, uh, you know, roll in the Big 12 here and compete?
2: Well, you know, and I'll kind of start where Nick left off where he was talking about their schedule being really front-loaded and heavily front-loaded. However, I will throw this caveat in there. Their first, you know, three Big 12 games are probably against the best three teams in the Big 12 next year, you you would maybe suggest, uh, outside of Texas. Oklahoma State, Oklahoma, and Iowa State. But they get two of them at home. You know, so I don't – you know, how much – Is home field advantage going to matter next year? Obviously, with COVID and everything, we don't really know, like, to what capacity fans will be back. But, I mean, this Kansas State team at home is just a different team. They've shown that so many times over and over again that when you go to Manhattan, everything just happens for them. You know, random bounces of the ball. It's They they play better when they're at home. And, you know, I'm not so sure that, you know, and and with Oklahoma being the first Big 12 game there, and if fans are allowed to come back at, you know, almost full capacity – does that help them push themselves over the hump? I think we're going to be asking ourselves a lot of that question going into next year. How much do fans really matter because of that fact? Uh, outside of that, though, I really don't see where this team is gets to bowl eligibility. Personally, you know, they could—they'll they'll probably be two-two and one when they start Big Twelve play next year. Uh, maybe they beat Stanford, maybe they don't, but they should beat Southern Illinois. And Nevada is not an easy game, but it is at home, so I expect them to win that one. But after that, it, it gets rough, like you said, you know. And you know, Oklahoma State, Oklahoma and Iowa State to start your year off is just hellacious. And yes, Oklahoma State lost a lot of talent. We know this, but it's still Oklahoma State. They're going to bring in a bunch of talent, and they're not going to be they're not going to be a bad team by any means. Uh, then you you play a Texas Tech team that we've talked about puts up points. So. Worst thing that a bad defense could face is a Texas Tech-led offense that's going to at least bare minimum put up 30 points. So I just don't see where they're able to do it. Um, Nick's absolutely right. When you look at their offense, offensively, they they could be really explosive next year. They could do a lot offensively, especially on the ground. Uh, and, and if they can figure it out through the air, that's going to be a really balanced offense next year. That's going to be pretty dangerous. But you're right. Defensively, they have so many question marks. You hit it on the head. They lose their best pass rusher. They lose not one but two linebackers. They lose their their you know their second highest rated excuse me. They lose their second yeah their second highest rated corner going into next year as well. And you know you have to ask yourself what you know where do they find an ability to make up for this production for a defense that wasn't even excelling last season with the guys that I that we just mentioned. Um, so I I don't see where Kansas State is any better than maybe five wins maybe maybe they start the season off three, you know, and it's just enough for them to beat some of the teams that they're just around in the big 12, like a Texas tech, like a TCU, like a Baylor to where they're able to win those games as well and get to six wins. Uh, but I'm not, I can't confidently say that. And lastly, when you look at the recruiting trail, Kansas state's one of those weird teams that no matter what they recruit, you kind of have to wait two to three years to figure out what these kids are. You know, they're not very, uh, freshman or sophomore laden teams. You're, they don't kids don't necessarily come to Kansas State and start right away. That's not really kind of their formula uh, up there at Kansas State. Uh, but they, you know, so with that being the case, when you look at the recruiting trail, they are always in the fifties. That's kind of where they sit. And they sit about halfway in, in the Big 12. They finished seventh last year uh last past year and 56th nationally after finishing 52nd. So when you look at Kansas State, you don't really take too much away from the uh the transfer portal or the recruiting trail because people don't typically come in and start right away uh when they're at Kansas, uh Kansas State, excuse me. So bowl bowl team, I'm not sure. Five wins, I can confidently say that. Maybe they'll get their sixth. Maybe.
1: Uh well the next team up here to talk about is Uh, Tulane and, uh, Tulane had a weird year to say the least. I mean, they, um, you know, they, they lost to Nevada in the famous Idaho potato bowl. Uh, they had that huge comeback loss to Navy where Navy came all the way back on them. And then they were in these two overtime games against Tulsa and SMU and dropped both of those. Uh, when both those teams were ranked, they uh, brought in the 79th ranked recruiting class, uh, sixth in the AAC. They have nine transfers out, four transfers in, and a little bit of movement on uh, the coaching staff. Chip Long uh, is their new OC. He was a, uh, most recently an analyst at Tennessee. Chris Hampton is a new DC. He was a Dukes uh, DB coach. And Chris Watt is the new offensive line coach. So, some moving pieces and some brutal losses last year for Tulane, Nick, how do you see them moving into 2021?
0: It's a, it's a little bit of a, we're going to have to wait and see, you know, at least for the next couple of weeks, because Tulane head coach Willie Fritz is is one of the first names mentioned at the, you know, right after the news a, a couple of days ago now that Kansas moved on from less miles so you know will there be more movement for Tulane at the at, uh, you know on the coaching staff is is Fritz actually a candidate for this job and if so would he leave at, at this stage? That would throw a real wrench into things, probably. But you know, assuming that that Fritz is is still there and that Chip Long is is the uh, offensive coordinator, who you know prior to to his role at uh, Tennessee was the offensive coordinator at Notre Dame, so somebody who has had a lot of success at a, at a pretty high level. And you think that you know Tulane is is always a difficult offense to prepare for, and, and they were. Pretty explosive, especially on the ground last season, despite having a ton of injuries. I mean, they lost who uh, was expected to be their their primary ball carrier before the season uh, even started last year, and then had multiple players end up uh, with with some pretty significant injuries at in that position as well. So you know, there there is a lot to uh, you know, to think, okay, they, they've they got a system in place that they're going to be able to to have success on the ground, regardless of who's carrying the football. I mean, Cameron Carroll ended up having uh, several solid performances. Steven Hudderson, who has since entered the transfer portal, but, you know, both of those guys put up uh, over six production points, and, and we didn't even expect that they would be getting Uh, anywhere near the bulk of the carries last year before Corey Dauphin and and Tajay Spears went down with injury. And then, you know, Amari Jones is a a guy who has some real playmaking ability that I thought got a little lost in the shuffle was surprised. We didn't see more of him last year. He ends up transferring as well. And now uh, is at Georgia Southern? So, you know, it's, it's interesting to to look at that and think that, you know, uh, if, if, Fritz is there and, and you think even though they have a new uh, play caller technically with Will Hall moving on to become the head coach at, at Southern Miss, I still think that there's going to be uh, a, a difficult offense to prepare for. That Tulane, you know, Michael Pratt as a true freshman last year, uh, had a lot of success, 1800 uh, passing yards, 20 touchdowns, eight rushing touchdowns. He's going to be somebody that, that, you know, can give defensive uh, coordinators some trouble. They've Receiver position despite uh drops being an issue for both Deuce and Fat Watts, uh, who ranked, you know, both of them ranked among the top 10 uh just in raw drops last year. Both guys had eight drops. You know, they they still were big play guys and, and showed some real promise. Deuce Watts particularly uh had 18 yards per catch, something like that last season. So, you know, the the offense can be explosive. It didn't necessarily put up the very best numbers. They were 65th in yards per play on offense. They were 49th in EPA per play. Uh, they were 40th in points per drive. But, you know, yards per pass attempt, not great. 87th and, and then, you know, success rate a little bit better when they were on the ground. You know, were able to, to move the ball relatively Consistently, so uh, I, I think they will be fine on offense, despite a lot of of again, you know, moving pieces, both as far as a play caller and uh, whoever's going to be carrying the the football. Assuming that Carroll doesn't just get uh, a ton of those carries moving forward, I, they seem to want to, to you know have multiple guys involved. But you know, they're they're going to be, I think, still capable of of uh, giving teams opposing uh, opponents. Headaches on offense. Defensively, I've got a few more questions. They do have two very, very productive linebackers coming back, and Dorian Williams was an all-conference performer, and then Nick Anderson. Uh, both of those guys had 15 production points or more, but they will be losing their top two edge rushers. Patrick Johnson, I think, is is potentially going to get drafted. Uh, Cameron Sample, maybe you know, should as well. He certainly was productive enough. He had 26. Production points last year. Johnson had 18, so both of those guys ended up as 100 max-rated players. But both of those guys are gone, off off to the NFL. They're also losing two corners that were, you know, expected to contribute uh, pretty heavily. Kyle Myers, the transfer from Florida State, uh, will be playing a super senior season somewhere else, and then Willie Langham is also gone. So, you know, have some questions both in the the front four and in the back. Uh, in the back four as well and for a defense that you know the the (laughs) despite that pass rush uh, gave up a lot of yards through the air 112 they ranked 112 in yards per pass attempt allowed defensively so much better you know as far as success rate goes they actually were uh, ranked in the top 25 in success rate against but uh, they you know gave up a lot of big plays as well so we kind of have to see how things shake out as far as the coaching staff goes, you know, assuming that Fritz will be back, assuming that the offense uh, schematically, you know, stays relatively consistent under uh, Chip Long, seeing how, you know, Devin Brumfield fits in as a, a part of that backfield and, and whether the receivers can cut, up, uh, cut out some of those drops. They've got a tough schedule. Oklahoma, Ole Miss, and UAB all in the non-conference uh, they should be able to get a win against Morgan State, and they will be a competitive team. I think uh, able of potentially, you know, pulling off an ops uh, an upset here or there. As you mentioned, took SMU to overtime last year. They might be able to beat an SMU. You know, they might be able to beat a UCF, a team in in transition. Tulsa has a lot of uh, guys leaving on on both sides of the football. Important players. Memphis' we'll, we'll talk about is is definitely a team that I think is taken a bit of a step back or or will take a bit of a step back in 2021. So those are teams that are beatable. not sure that they will be able to to knock off Cincinnati, but I wouldn't necessarily make them a huge underdog, I don't think in in any of those other uh, conference games. so, They'll probably be in the mix for a similar record. Maybe, you know, six wins is, is possible. I think that it's a little more likely that they miss out on a bowl game because of that uh, very, very difficult non-conference schedule. But they're going to be a tough team to, to contend with. They are a team that uh, has shown an ability to, to do that. They're certainly a competitive team, but uh, probably going to be in the 70s heading into next year.
1: All right, Xavier, your thoughts on Tulane uh, going into twenty twenty one? Like uh, Nick said, you know they're on the cusp right there. Last year, hopefully, they can pull all the way through it.
2: Yeah, I'm not so sure if they can. I feel like last year they kind of overachieved in in, a, in, a, in somewhat of a sense, and I feel like this year's schedule, whoever they got it from just completely gave them the worst side of the other side of the conference. Uh, you know, you, you look at last year's schedule, and you saw them win, some winnable games. Obviously, they started off the years with South Alabama and Southern Miss. You know, if they beat Navy there, they start off the year 3-0. and oh. uh, But this is a team that then lost three straight playing Houston, who wasn't a very good ball club last year, SMU and UCF, and they were able to beat the bad teams. You know, they beat Temple. They beat East Carolina. They were able to beat Army towards the end of the year. But you really feel like when you look at this year's schedule, and I'll start there because that's where Nick left off, I don't see where they're able to do it. Their non-conference schedule this year is hellacious. They play Oklahoma and Ole Miss to start the year off with Morgan State. That's one and two to start the year off there. Um, You know, we talked about their coaching changes. Well, their spring game is April 3rd. You know, that's, you know, this is March 10th that we're filming this. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's not even a month away. And, you know, with all of the turnover happening at their coaching staff, you really don't expect that. They're kind of hamstringing themselves with that. You know, so I don't really know what, you know, and like Nick said, we might have to wait a couple of weeks to figure out what this Tulane team will even look like going into next year. But I know what they will be missing is they'll be missing several of their top players, especially on defense. You know, they lost three, two guys on on the defensive line to transferring uh, or to the draft, excuse me. And then they lost two guys in their secondary to transferring. And when you lose so much of your talent and your coaching staff may have turnover in the next couple of weeks, there's a lot in the air going with this ball club. So it's really hard to dictate what they'll do next year. Their schedule is like, I don't even know how you put this together, but it sucks. You go from Ole Miss to UAB, which is no easy feat. Uh, you get East Carolina and Houston back-to-back. So that, that might be you know their second and third win of the year. But then you come off of a bye week at SMU, Cincinnati, at UCF, and then Tulsa four weeks in a row. That's not fun in any regard. Then you get a, a measly little break with UCF, or excuse me, USF, and then you go to Memphis to end the year off. I don't see where they where they get to six bowl games, or excuse me, six wins to get to a bowl game. It's going to be very tough for them to do so. I think, like Nick said, it's going to take a couple of upsets of some teams that are traditional powers in uh, in their conference they're going to have to beat UCF and Tulsa to get to a bowl game this year. And I don't know if they're going to be able to do it. Um, so, and, you know, like, you know, I alluded to, their non-conference schedule is not a, as much of a cakewalk as it was last year. You know, so I don't know how Tulane is, is capable or does it. But at the same time, Tulane has surprised us in past years where there's no way I thought that they were going to be as good as they were not last year. I believe it was two years ago where they were able to win a couple of games to start off the year where I was like, That that was the year that they started off five and one. And I was like, where is this coming from? So, I mean, it's possible it, you know, as Kevin Garnett said, anything is possible, but (laughs) I just don't see it in this regard. Um, When you look at the recruiting, this is a team that regressed in recruiting this over the past year. And that might be due to the, the, the poor, poor season that they had Uh, they finished sixth in the AAC where they finished third in the year prior. And they finished 79th nationally where they finished 69th in the year prior. Uh, I just don't see where they make that progression. And they really didn't hit the transfer portal hard enough, in my opinion, to replace the issues and the kids that ended up transferring out. Yes, they brought in two corners, but we'll see if they're able to hit the ground running. They brought in a kid from Colorado and Kansas State. Do they hit the ground running? Uh, They brought in a guy from Utah at at the running back position. Does he hit the ground running? I feel like there's just way too many ifs with this Tulane ball club that say that they'll be bowl eligible next year. Three to four wins is what I'll give Tulane going into next season.
1: Man, yeah, I mean, rough because they're they're right on, you know, they're right on the line there as far as teams that could go one way or the other. And uh, the the next team is Troy, and uh, I I feel like they're right in there too. Um, you know, they they do have a ton returning for them. They have uh, on Bill Connolly's returning production number two in defensive uh, returning production. So that should be uh, good. But Nick, I mean, you noted here four losses came by a single possession for this team last year, who were uh, five and six overall, three and four in the Sun Belt, 105th-ranked recruiting class, sixth in the Sun Belt, uh, six transfers out, four transfers in, uh, some moving and shaking uh, as far as coaches go. Luke Meadows comes in as their new offensive line coach. He's coaching at Kansas last year. Uh, Gary Banks is the new wide receiver coach. Uh, he um, uh, was the Choctaw County coach last year. And Dwayne Brown, who was the director of recruiting last year, is now the special teams coordinator and tight end coach. So some moving pieces. How do you see uh, Troy looking for 2021, Nick?
0: I think there's a lot to like because, as you mentioned, the the number of players and, and just that overall percentage of returning production on defense is significant would be significant for any team to have the second most returning production in college football on that side of the football. But this was one of the most improved defenses in the country last year. And and they actually, that same number I mentioned with Georgia State, uh, Troy was right there behind them. They actually were the seventh most improved uh, team as far as our team performance ratings go, almost 11 points better than they were in 2019 and and to get that amount of production coming back is is significant because uh this went from being a a defense that really wasn't very good in 2019 putting it fairly mildly to one that uh is potentially one of the uh at least one you know in the top half of the Sun Belt and uh, you know ranked in the top Fifty in, in several of the numbers that we pay attention to. They were forty fourth in yards per play allowed. They were forty fourth in EPA per play on defense. Forty first points per drive allowed. Uh, they were sixty first yards per pass attempt allowed. So uh, you know a little shakier there, and and sixty fifth in success rate against, but still you know, to, to move from where they were in the 80s, 90s, and, and triple digits in a lot of those same categories the previous year is a significant improvement. And they've got a legitimate All-American candidate and linebacker, uh, Carlton Marshall had over, you know, over 100 tackles last year, had 56 stops, according to PFF. Uh, he's a, you know, multi-time, a Belt. Uh, performer, they brought in a uh, pass rusher from Auburn who really, you know, did a, did a lot of good things. Richard, uh, who, who had four and a half sacks tied with Real Trello, uh, another all Sun Belt player for the team lead in sacks last year. They got Terrence Dunlap back. He was healthy last season after missing most, if not all, of, of 2019. Ends up having, you know, three picks, six pass breakups, and and uh, another all Sun Belt. Uh, performance type year. Javon Solomon on the edge. You know, linebacker KJ Robinson, uh, Jaden McDonald, TJ Harris. All those guys had uh, more than half a dozen production points last year, spread across all three levels of the defense. Uh, you know, that's that's certainly uh, a lot of good things. Uh, you know, played really well last year. You mentioned they were very very competitive, even in some close losses. Uh, this was a solid team, certainly far from perfect. It finished uh, below 500, but to go from where they were in 2019, where they were just, you know, in shootout after shootout to show some improvement defensively, you know, hopefully both sides of the football will be able to, to come together and and make Troy a dangerous team next season, because they do have a really strong receiving core, even though they're losing Khalil McLean to the NFL draft. Uh, they've got you know, a couple of guys coming back who rank in the eighties and in, in our player ratings, uh, they were actually a top 25 receiver unit, the top, you know, most talented receiver unit in the sunbelt at the end of the season, according to our numbers. So, you know, you take that experience on defense and and you take uh some, some real pieces offensively. Gunnar Watson had some moments as a first time starter, as a sophomore, he was a little banged up toward the end of the year, but he and Jacob free and they brought in a transfer uh, from uh, Missouri to compete there as well, Tyler, Taylor Powell. They're going to find, you know, they're going to shore up that quarterback position uh, to go with those receivers. And then, haven't even talked about it, running backs, uh, Troy has one of the deepest running back groups in the country. I mean, you know, B.J. Smith was coming back healthy after missing most of 2019. D.K. Billingsley was a starter. Uh, it did some really good things in 2019. And then Kamani Vidal, comes in, beats both of them out and, and becomes one of the more productive running backs in the Sun Belt. And then they've also got a guy who hasn't played very much, but Charles Strong signed with Texas A&M coming out of high school. He's a 220 pound uh, transfer, you know, there and, and, and he's in the mix, has the potential to to be in the mix as well. So I think there's really a lot to like about Troy. It, it's it's, you know, it's difficult to think that the defense is going to continue to improve at quite the same rate that they did last season, but I think that they will be able to put up, you know, similar numbers uh, defensively. And and then if the offense, you know, continues to be explosive and and has all those playmakers uh, at running back, at receiver, get all those guys, you know, involved, I think Troy's going to be a really really dangerous team. They're going to be competitive again next year with the potential to get back to a bowl game with the potential to, you know, challenge it's, it's of course going to be difficult. Uh, the top end of the Sun Belt is really pretty good with teams like, you know, Louisiana, of course, App State, uh, Coastal Carolina coming off the year that they had, but Troy's not that far off from being able to compete with those type of teams. They probably won't be favored against, you know, any of those three, but don't be shocked if if they knock one of those off and, and get back to a bowl game uh, next year with, you know, seven, eight wins, something
1: like that. Xavier, are you as uh, positive uh, uh, on the outlook as Nick is for Troy?
2: Unfortunately, I am. I, I'll, I will be honest with you. This is a team that last year.
1: Unfortunately, you are. Uh, you should, yeah, because they're in the Sun Belt.
2: You are, you mean. Well, well, I mean, they're in the Sun Belt, so they compete with Georgia State. That's the only reason why it's unfortunate. Other than that, I have no qualms with Troy. Like, I don't hate Troy. Like, we will talk about Georgia Southern in a couple of minutes. But like, I don't hate Troy by any means. Uh, But I, this is a team that last year, I mean, they've got to be going into the offseason. And if I'm if I'm a coach, I'm putting finish on everything because this is a team that just last year could not finish. You know, they they lose to Georgia State by two. They lose to Georgia Southern by seven. They lose to Middle Tennessee by three. And I'm not going crazy, Nick. They did play Middle Tennessee twice last year, correct? Okay. I'm I'm just making sure because I saw that they have blown them out by almost 30. Excuse me. They did blow them out by 33 to start the year off, and then they lost to them by three in like weeks seven or eight. So I was just making sure I wasn't, you know, losing it. Uh, but you know, then they lose to middle Tennessee by three, then they lose to finish the year off, uh, to coastal Carolina by four, you know, so you really look at a team that is talented enough to have won all these these ballgames. They just could not finish. And like I said about Georgia state, they will benefit from teams above them losing significant talent, you know, that they'll lose, they'll, they'll benefit from teams like Appalachian state losing talent benefit from teams like Louisiana losing talent. Uh, you know, and, and I think that there'll be a team that can compete at the, you know, for an eight, nine win season. At the end of the day, uh, I think they can win all of their non-conference games outside of you know maybe at South Carolina. But I'm not necessarily putting that past them. Be honest with you, uh, they play Southern Liberty and South Carolina. Do I say that they can't win any? Oh, and Southern Miss. Excuse me. Can they win all four of those ball games? I'll give them a chance in all four. Um, I would. You know, there's none of those that I would say there's a definite loss for them. And then when we get into Sunbelt play, I mean, I don't know who's scheduled there in November, but outside of that. You know, I, you know, you know, you just it's not fun to go too coastal, play Louisiana, play app, and then finish the season with Georgia State. Yes, you've got South, South Alabama thrown in there for what will probably be an easier win or an easier ball game, but you know, I, I that's not a, a fun way to end the year. This is a team that I think can win seven to eight games next year if they learn how to finish. Their biggest concern for me is their quarterback position. Uh, they didn't, he was okay next year, but he needs to take that next step. If we're really going to see the best from this ball club. And it's not like he doesn't have the receivers to throw to. I mean, they've got four seniors that receiver, five technically next year, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, no, but yet, so, you know, when you've got such an old receiving core like that, that's just fun to have. I mean, this, that's you can, and with two guys being six, four plus, they should be throwing the ball around the yard next year. Uh, can their defense hold up? that'll be a question mark going into next year but we're talking about the Sun Belt here you don't necessarily have to have an amazing defense to have a positive record i mean we saw that from georgia state last year i think that this is a team that can win 7-8 ball games um and on the recruiting trail they they didn't do enough in the transfer portal for me i think that they should have dug into the transfer portal a bit more you know just bringing in four guys is a little bit you know uh, I feel like they're relying a lot on the talent that they had last year and they probably feel like I just said that they all they needed to do was finish. I think they should have dug into the transfer portal a little bit more. I'm excited about uh Taeyon Palmer com- uh, Palmer, excuse me, coming in from NC State, a four-star cornerback coming out of high school. But I digress. Troy can win eight ball games. They can't. I- Will they? They got to finish. But if I- they learn how finish. to finish games, they can win eight games.
1: Yeah, I got you. I got you. Yeah. I mean, definitely something they need to work on uh, for next year is finishing. Uh, I I tell you what, Army, uh, great record last year, nine and three. You know, solid team. They crushed Middle Tennessee. They crushed ULM, beat them by a combined 79 to seven. They played uh, Cincinnati pretty close. So, you know, like I said, nine and three overall. For a CFF nerd like me, they were incredibly frustrating because they had so many players at quarterback so many good players at running back Sandam McCoy being the best option because he scored 10 touchdowns but uh you know the the recruiting class is what you expect from a military academy you know 110th ranked one transfer out no one coming in hard to get in the army of course uh Courtney Braswell is their new defensive line coach he comes over from App State he was the outside linebackers coach there last year but uh, Nick, 2021, do you see more of the same coming out of Army?
0: It's it's difficult to project Army for me personally each year, but also for our numbers because you mentioned the the recruiting classes and, and not only are they bringing in almost exclusively two-star players, but they're bringing in dozens of them. I mean, you know, 40, 50, 60 guys. And just in, in terms of raw numbers – you know, you're going to have some guys who really step up, and and uh, were total, you know, gems, total uh, diamonds in the rough type players. One of them last year came up and and you know played it a, a big role immediately. Was Tyrell Robinson, really explosive running back guy that uh, played slot back for them. Actually ended up leading the team in receiving. Was the third leading rusher, but not far behind. Uh, you know their their the top rusher didn't get in the end zone, but averaged over seven yards per carry. So you'll have guys like that sprinkled in at, at Army and Navy and Air Force. But uh, the the raw numbers and just the the uh, you know the 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 amount of players that they end up relying on, who are two stars coming out of high school, really drags down their talent numbers as far as our projections go. So it's very, very difficult to be high on Army. They do pretty well as far as team performance. And, and, you know, they ranked 51st last season which might sound a little low for a team that won nine games but you know they had three wins against fcs opponents uh they don't necessarily you know light up the scoreboard all the time they started out great were dominant on both sides of the football uh at at the beginning of the season but injuries ended up taking their toll they lost a lot of close or excuse me won a lot of close uh low scoring games in the second half of the year including uh, beating both Air Force and Navy, uh, you know by scoring fewer than twenty points in in both games. But you know, they're they're a team that's just a little bit tricky for our numbers to get a good read on. But also they're a little bit tricky because, as you mentioned, they played so many guys, and part of it was injury. I thought, you know, I, I, talking about CFF, I remembered my my like deep, deep sleeper, Last year, going into the season, because I looked at Army's schedule, they had multiple FCS opponents. They were playing UConn, they were playing UMass. Now it's like Jabari Laws, the quarterback coming in, thinking he's the you know going to be the starter. He's going to be the net, you know. He, he, I thought, could potentially do at Army what Malcolm Perry, you know, maybe not quite that level, but what Malcolm Perry uh, was able to do as a senior at Navy. Because I just thought he was the most athletic guy on the field for them. Well, he doesn't even play. In 2020, I, I think it was injury related, but it was very vague uh, when any mention was was made of him, uh, you know, in in the media. But they ended up having Christian Anderson, who you know was solid, uh, but he get you know, he got banged up. Uh, Tyre T- Tyler ends up being the leading rusher at quarterback, almost 600 yards. Uh, he can't play in every game. They end up having five different quarterbacks that played more than 30 snaps. Anderson had over. Excuse me. Over three hundred. Tyler had two fifty, but then they also had to play Jamel Jones for over hundred snaps. Kate Ballard uh, for sixty snaps. So you know they they were just different guys every week. Partly because of injury, uh, but partly because hey, the, you know the system works, and and they're able to overcome that talent disadvantage that they've gotten most games, and are still able to you know put up good numbers, especially running the football in in raw terms, specifically, it's definitely grinded out. I mean, they were 119th in yards per play offensively. They were 84th in EPA per play offensively, 119th, or excuse me, uh, 75th in success rate, 70th in in yards per pass attempt, 71st in points per drive. But they're able to just uh, put teams to sleep and long, slow drives. And and, uh, usually, you know, that ends up uh, making a defense look really good, almost artificially, just because they play fewer snaps, fewer uh, drives. But the Army defense was solid last year, and, and even in a lot of the metrics that we look at, that you know do filter out the games against FCS opponents, do uh, you know filter out when there are big blowouts and, and things like that. But Army ranked 17th in yards per play allowed. They ranked 15th EPA per play on defense. They were top 10 in the country in points per drive allowed, top 20 in yards per pass attempt allowed, top 25 in success rate against. So, this was legitimately on the field a top 25 defense. And they had some really, really good players. Linebacker John Radigan, you know, should have got some All American consideration. Eric Smith at linebacker, uh, guys like Jabari Moore, Julian McDuffie, you know, did good things. But a lot of those guys are gone. So, are you going to be able to replace them with, again, you know, uh, two-star players who have been maybe on campus for two or three years. Maybe there's a freshman that can come in and, and step up. Uh, that was an under you know under recruited type guy, but there are so many unknowns year to year. And Army, as we mentioned briefly uh, earlier this week, talking about you know guys coming back for super senior seasons. That doesn't exist at Army. Anybody who was a senior last year, like Radigan, he's gone. You know, those, so, you know, Ar- Armadeo West ended up having six production points last year as an edge rusher. He's gone. Uh, Jeremiah Lowry started a lot of games. He's gone. So, you know, Radigan had 28 production points, but he is gone. So there are a few pieces coming back on defense. They, they will return about half their starters, but that becomes a pretty young and inexperienced defense compared to all these teams that are going to be having super seniors come back. So, you know. Uh, it's, it's difficult to project. They do have some exciting players on offense. They've got three, four quarterbacks they can win with. And you have to think that maybe eventually one or two of those guys will move to a slot back or a fullback to fill in for Sandon McCoy or Artis Haas. Both those guys will be gone next year. But I, I think that Army will be what they've always been or, or what they've at least been in the last uh, you know five years or so, a team capable of driving – any opponent just nuts by playing keep away you know taking Michigan to overtime playing Oklahoma super tough playing Cincinnati super tough and then they'll be able to compete with uh, you know anybody that they play but just from a numbers standpoint our projections just aren't going to be super high they got up to 75th last year that was pretty high for an army team in, in our uh, way of evaluating them. It's going to be very, very difficult for them to improve upon that unless they are just incredibly dominant, like they were at the beginning of last season. So I expect Army to start next year in the 80s, maybe even the 90s. Uh, but you know they'll have an opportunity to play their way, uh, certainly to to a bowl game, to maybe another Commander in Chiefs trophy. Uh, they've got some upset opportunities they go to you know start the season at georgia state they play mac champ ball state they play at wisconsin they play wake forest uh they play at liberty that's going to be a a very tough opponent so you know they'll they'll give those teams fits and then they will beat up on you know what we expect to be weak defenses like uconn and and umass and uh you know then of course all the the uh they do play uh, an FCS opponent, Bucknell. And and so, you know, they'll have plenty of games where they will dominate, but uh, they're a tricky team because they, you know, they, they do the same thing, but they play uh, such a unique style that opponents are, are, you know, always dealing with something new, it seems like, against Army or, or not used to uh, defending the triple option week to week. And then the way our system uh, evaluates them just based on their uh, recruiting Uh, differences compared to most teams tricky for us to, to, you know, project as well, but I expect another winning season. I expect them to uh, be capable of, of beating just about anybody they play eight, nine wins is not out of the realm of possibility. Another bowl game uh, probably should be expected, but you know, it's a difficult team to read and it's a difficult team. You know, we're probably not going to expect you know, army to be big favorites or, or to, you know, cover as a big favorite or anything like that. So as much as, as we respect what army does uh, and when they do overperform compared to those recruiting numbers and those roster strength numbers, our system just isn't really built to show a lot of respect as far as our numbers and our projections go.
1: Xavier, what are your thoughts? I mean, you know, like Nick said, we, we, usually expect a winning season out of army and they do give some of those big teams fits, but uh, you know, just can never really get over that hump. Plus they're hard to project because like Nick said, you know, uh, military Academy schools are are hard to uh, you know, determine as far as the uh, classes go. Plus like we saw last year, they can succeed with most of the players that they have. So it's hard to know who's uh, winning jobs and who's great and all that stuff until you actually see it. And even when you actually see it, from week to week, these guys can lose jobs. So uh what are your thoughts on Army going into 2021?
2: I like Army going into 2021. I think this is a ball club that I don't think they'll expand on what they did last year. I don't think they'll improve on a 9-3 year just because simply I think their schedule is a little bit more difficult than it was last year. Uh Or is there, excuse me, yeah, it's a little bit more difficult than it was last year. So I think that they won't. Go 10 wins, 11 wins, or something like that. But I do think this is an eight win ball club. You look at their schedule, and outside of Georgia State, I think they can win their first four, uh, four five or four out of the first five ball games. Uh, I think Western Kentucky is a, que- a bit of a question mark, but UConn, Miami of Ohio, and Ball State, I think, are games that they can win. Uh, and Nick's absolutely right. This team is so hard to scout for because they play keep away, so their numbers are inflated defensively and typically because teams just aren't on the field. You know, it's, it's really easy to play defense when you only have to play six possessions of defense, uh, you know, and you're not in play and you're playing, you know, uh, an offense that feels like they have to press. And so you kind of know what you're getting yourselves into defensively. You're like, well, if we're up by 21 points, they've got to throw the football because when our offense gets it back, they're just going to take six minutes off the clock, even if they don't go anywhere. Um, if I learned anything about watching them in person against Georgia State two, two years ago, they can have an empty drive and it still be three and a half minutes. When you know that as an offense, it's very difficult to play an arm, to play Army consistently like that when you're not able to get them off the field in 30 seconds or in a minute and 10 seconds because it's very tough to do that consistently. But I think that they can, you know, at Wisconsin, I'm going to call that a wash already, but Wake Forest is a team I think they can beat. You know, I think they can absolutely beat them. Bucknell is a team I think they can beat uh, UMass, and I think Liberty's going to take a step back this year. So that's a team I think they can beat. So I'm looking at an eight-win ball club here. I won't talk too much about the recruiting here because, like we talked about, they bring in 50 kids a year, and it's just a platoon swap every single year. And, you know, it doesn't really matter all that much because freshmen typically don't play at Army, but the ones that do are really good, and typically they get, you know, two, three, four-year guys an opportunity to play. Um, and, you know, the Army way is the Army way, and it just works. Uh, so I'm not going to go too far into the recruiting because the numbers aren't impressive, but that's not what you focus on with, it's, with a school like this. Uh, I think eight wins is – seven, eight wins is where they'll be at. If they get to nine and ten, they're going to have to beat some pretty good ball clubs on this list. Uh, but, you know, I'm comfortable saying eight wins as of right now.
1: And uh, the next team on the list here is the complete opposite, of army from last year, Baylor who, you know, look, they, they had a lot of issues, right? Uh, that rule left for the NFL. So, uh, you know, Dave Aranda comes in, didn't seem like the players really fit with what Aranda wanted to do. So, uh, that's how you get a two and seven season after winning 11 games, going to the big 12 championship game. Uh, really disappointing start. They had another good recruiting class, 44th ranked in the nation, Fifth in the Big Twelve, so good there. Eight transfers out, four transfers in, but you know, with only winning two games in, in even a shortened season, you're gonna have a lot of uh, you're gonna have a lot of changes on the staff. And uh, Jeff Grimes comes over as the new OC. He was the BYU offensive coordinator last year, and we saw them do a lot of interesting things. So that's a great hire. Uh, Chancy Stuckey was the receivers coach or is the receiver's coach now. He was at Clemson last year in player development. Uh, Sean Bell is new uh, QB's coach. He uh, bumps up from uh, the tight end coach last year. Uh, Eric uh, Matios comes over from BYU as the O-line coach, and Kevin Kernis, the new CB coach, coming over from SMU. So a lot of changes in the staff, Uh, a good recruiting class, Nick, a second year for Aranda. They got to get better here, right?
0: Yeah, I think they will get better. And, and, you know, it's you never want to start off on the wrong foot as a first time head coach by uh, having such a disappointing season, by seeing such a big step back in really a lot of categories. I mean, you know, mentioned Troy and Georgia State being among the most improved defenses in the country last year, where Baylor took almost the biggest step back of, of any team overall. Uh, they, only LSU and Navy actually saw their team performance rating drop by a larger uh, overall number. They they had 15 points just about uh, shaved off of their team performance rating last year. And, and we spent a lot of time in 2019 talking about Baylor as a top 20 team in our power rank. And, and, you know, they went to the Big 12 championship game, won 11 games, uh, obviously, you know, played well enough that Matt Rule was able to, to move on into the NFL. And Aranda had a, a little bit of a bumpy start. You know, there were some things with uh, personnel, as you mentioned, defensively uh, compared to what we expect to see from Dave Aranda. He's somebody that is able to change up. What he does year to year, even week to week sometimes, but what it seemed like, you know, when he was at LSU and basically had his pick of defensive players from a recruiting standpoint, you kind of say, okay, what, if he could do anything, you know, what he was doing at LSU is, is what he probably wants most to do. Well, Baylor's built much differently. And they had a lot of turnover on the defensive side of the ball last year. The defensive line was really small, so they weren't able to play, uh, you know, a a lot of the uh, sort of fronts that that LSU was able to play with those big 300, 350 almost guys like Tyler Shelvin that they had in in 2019. Baylor didn't have any of those guys. I think they had one uh, 300 plus defensive lineman on the roster, and so they were playing guys, you know, 270, 280. Well, they brought in a, a big-time transfer from LSU, actually, a 320-plus pounder and, and uh, Shaki Ika, who is going to step in and, and be, you know, really somebody they can build around at the nose tackle position, a guy who's th- listed at 6'4", 350, he's going to take up a lot of space on that offensive line and, and you know, really free up. Uh, the guys around him to make plays. And fortunately, they do have some playmakers. Uh, Jalen Pitry is is kind of a hybrid linebacker safety guy. One of my favorite defensive players in college football to watch. He's all over the field, super productive, had 20 production points last year, uh, is a 100 max rated player, and he is back. He'll be teaming up with Terrell Bernard, who is almost. Uh, to 100, he's a uh, 99.8 uh, guy who was playing basically at an all-American level. Had uh, 10 production points built up before suffering a season-ending injury in uh, November. So you get both of those guys. Even though you're losing William Bradley King as an edge rusher, did a lot of good things in one year uh, as a transfer from Arkansas State. You know, getting getting Petrie and and uh, and Bernard back. Uh, that's going to give Baylor one of the best linebacker units in the country. They were already top twenty. Uh, I expect they'll probably be top fifteen. You know, maybe a chance to to get up in the top ten because Dylan Doyle, the transfer from Iowa, is going to be mid eighties as well. So that's going to be a really solid unit. They're losing just William Bradley King uh, from the starting lineup, so ten starters coming back on defense. Plus, you bring you know Ika there in, in the interior of that defensive line can move guys around uh, around him to make better use of uh, you know that personnel. I think we're really going to see a Baylor defense that looks more like what Dave Aranda really wants it to be. So, I, I think that they will be uh, an improved team. Defensively, I would not be you know, surprised at all if if this time next year we're talking about how they had such a big turnaround on defense last year. And it's not like the defense was terrible. I mean, they ranked 54th yards per play allowed. They ranked 30th in EPA, uh, EPA per play on defense. They were top 60 points per drive allowed, top 50 yards per pass attempt allowed, top 40 in success rate Again, So they were solid, but they certainly took uh, a step back compared to that, you know, championship contending type defense that we saw in 2019, the big issue is on offense because last year was really dreadful. I mean, Baylor was the worst offense that we'll be talking about today. They finished 122nd in yards per play offensively, 110th EPA per play on offense, 112th in points per drive, 110th yards per pass attempt, and 119th in success rate. Those are the type of numbers that we were talking about, you know, when we were discussing UMass and uh, those those teams at the very very beginning of this exercise I mean they were a a just complete disappointment on offense especially when you consider they had uh, Charlie Brewer who's one of the most experienced quarterbacks in the country coming into last year well whether it was just that he didn't fit schematically or he decided you know he needed a change of scenery he is transferred to Utah so is it going to be Jacob Zeno is it going to be uh, you know Jerry Bohannon are they going to be able to bring in somebody from the transfer portal maybe a quarterback that's a big question because they do have some playmakers Tristan Ebner is a really exciting player a guy that you know as a running back can do some good things uh, out of the backfield can catch the football can make an impact as a kick returner but you know, he was, at one point, had opted out last year, uh, Had was dealing with some injuries. John Lovett has transferred to Penn State. Squirrel Williams has, you know, ended up actually being the leading rusher, but uh, suffered, you know, injuries the last few years that have that really limited him. So, you know, that position is, is in uh, a little bit of uh, flux as well. RJ Sneed put together uh, an all-conference type year. Tyquan Thornton has a lot of potential. The offensive line struggled a lot and lost uh, right tackle Jake Burton to the NFL draft, but everybody else is coming back. So it's hard to know what to make offensively. I do like the hire. I, I was, of course, you know, like everybody, very impressed with what BYU did offensively last year. But BYU had a nasty offensive line. They had... You know uh, 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 Wilson. What's his first name? Tyler Wilson. Uh, <laughs> what's his What's his first name? Is that right? <laughs> I completely I completely blanked. Zach Wilson. Goodness, he's going to be what the second or third pick in the draft. Probably <laughs> he uh, he took such a huge step forward offensively, and I know every BYU game that I watched alongside the Fresno State games last year late at night, uh, you know, everybody was talking about, oh, Zach Wilson went to California every weekend uh, to work with his uh, quarterback's coach, and that's why he took such a big uh, step forward offensively, and, and they really, you know, built it up that it was uh, player-driven, which I'm sure a large portion of it was, but I bet some of it had to do with Grimes as well, you know, and and so a lot of the improvement that Wilson made from a sophomore to a junior, uh, I think that he probably gets a little bit of credit for that. Maybe not, you know, all the credit or even most of the credit, but, you know, have to think that Baylor is going to be better on the offensive line, think that they are going to have the potential to improve offensively. They do have some playmakers coming back. If everybody stays healthy, if everybody, uh, you know, a, a year of experience, even though it is a new system, hopefully they'll be able to, to take a little bit of a step forward. But I do think that this is a defense that has the potential to be certainly a top 40 unit, maybe even a top 25 unit with a couple of the most uh, productive and, and uh, you know, maybe all around best linebackers in the country to build around. Now that the scheme is is potentially going to be a little bit more what, uh, the coaching staff is, is aiming for, I think Baylor has the potential to, to be really good on defense. And if they make some progress on offense, they will be a dangerous team. And I think that getting back to bowl eligibility is not, uh, you know, out of the realm of possibility. I, I don't know that necessarily we should expect it, but I think that Baylor does take a big step forward uh, next year in, in, you know, playing more competitive week to week, playing more, uh, efficient, playing more, uh, you know, less of a roller coaster. There were some games that they just completely got blown out toward the end of the year, uh, but then that Iowa State game looked like they were in control early, then ended up going, you know, down by multiple scores in the third quarter, come back and have an opportunity to tie it, uh, it you know, within a minute left in regulation. Uh, they, were, they were in that game. They had some, some narrow misses as well. The schedule, a little bit easier. Opens up with with uh, three winnable games before you get to Iowa State, and then they do play BYU, who uh, is among the the you know least experienced teams in the country, and somebody that Grimes knows very very well. So you have to think that's a winnable game. Maybe they sweep the non conference. They beat uh, Kansas. They can certainly beat Kansas State and Texas Tech at the end of the year. It's just going to be that middle portion where you've got a lot of teams that are top twenty five fringe uh, type teams in the Big Twelve. In addition. To the heavyweights, who we expect to be Oklahoma and Iowa State, I think they'll be competitive. I, th- I think five or six wins is absolutely uh, possible, and I would, excuse me, wouldn't be at all uh, shocked if if they make it back to a bowl after a a you know disappointing year one for Aranda. But there's still a, a enough positives to think that this is a team capable of bouncing back. It's just whether or not they actually will be able uh, to really you know make that improvement on the offensive side of the ball.
1: By the way, I thought you were saying a Wilson on the offensive line. So I was yeah, like, I'm, I'm so not confused. sure. Yeah, and and <laughs> I, mean, when, I
0: know Zach Zach Wilson. When I, I, I
1: had Lob <laughs> on my my draft show uh, last week. On the sheet, I put Luke Wilson because I had just seen something that he was in, and uh, on just on the quarterbacks that I was talking about, you know, Zach Wilson, kind of a generic name, I put Luke Wilson on the sheet. So I don't feel like you're you're the only one that <laughs> can't remember which Wilson this is. But uh, Xavier, your thoughts on on Baylor? Obviously, uh, kind of a confusing team going into 2021 because you expect way better. Uh, than they performed last year. But hopefully, like uh, Nick said, with some of these new coaches coming in, they can start to really put it together here.
2: I mean, this is a confusing team. This has been a confusing team since... I've been around. I've been alive. I've been following college football. I mean, this team comes in. I mean, 2019. I don't think anybody saw them as competing for the Big 12 and finishing 11 and three. So you know, well, okay, Nick, we get it. We get it. You did. Excuse me. My bad. I, I'm sorry. Uh, kudos to Nick. Uh, but uh, I think going into 2021, this is definitely a team that I think is trending upward. Their non-conference schedule is kind of a cakewalk. You know, this is the of the first time I've said this in this in this episode. But Texas State, Texas Southern. And a BYU team that will definitely be missing Zach Wilson. Uh, so I, I think, uh, you know, 3-0 and in their non-conference schedule. And I think, honestly, they start the year off 3-0. and You know, they play Texas State, Texas Southern, and then they get at Kansas. And we know how much, uh, how much of a flux that team is in. I don't see why they don't go into 3-0 going against Iowa State. Um, and that's where I think we'll learn a lot about them. Uh, not only are they playing Iowa State in week four, but they're also playing them at home. So they do have an opportunity there to kind of tell us what kind of ball club they're going to be this year. And and I think they have a good mix of, you know, good team, bad team, good team, middle of the road, good team, middle of the road, in their scheduling that suggests that if they they find their footing and get confidence that this is a team that can run the table a bit and, and can be a team that come the end of the year, we're thinking can win almost nine wins, maybe wins 10 wins with how much, you know, Turnover is going on in the Big 12. Do they beat Texas at home after their bye week? We'll have to see at that point. You know, they have a very favorable schedule in that regard. Uh, Personally, I need to see Charlie Brewer take the next step. You know, I, you know, he he, he showed a lot in that sophomore year and he showed the ability. If he does, it'll it'll be in Utah. uh, You're right. I just I just was saying that, and I was like, it's a green line. I can't remember what it is. Uh, but <laughs> but I'm 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 gonna need more from their quarterback play because uh, they have not had top of the line quarterback play since 2019, and I think that's really what hurt them last year. You're right, Nick. The defense is gonna be pretty good. Uh, my only concern is it's the Big 12. So how much do we actually put on the defense being good in the Big 12? we saw Oklahoma down the stretch last year be almost a, an impenetrable force in the big 12. <laughs> ah, I felt it coming. I'm sorry guys. Um, but you know, I, I think that it's going to be really tough for their defense to really make an impact when you're playing big 12 offenses week in and week out. Uh, so I'm not ready to say that just because Dave Aranda will probably have the best defense he's had since being a bit Bay- well, the best defense he has had at Baylor so far. Will that actually be able to suggest that they're going to slow down teams and slow down offenses with you know the best defenses in the Big Twelve in the last couple of years outside of Oklahoma last year still giving up like twenty seven points a game? So I'm not so sure that a great defense is going to be what's able to do it for them uh, going into next year. I'm it's, I want to say Baylor will win nine games. I really do. You know, outside of Texas, uh, Iowa State, and Oklahoma. And they get both Texas and Oklahoma and Iowa State all at home this year. I don't know who's their scheduling guy, but good job this year. Uh, you know, so, I, you know, that's, that's perfect for them to make the quote unquote upsets down the stretch. But I'm not so sure. I just don't know if I'm ready to make that you know, proclamation on this show. So I'll go eight wins and be safe and, and sit on the fence there. But I, I really, I, I like the trajectory that Baylor is going in. I think on the recruiting trail, it's showing it as well. They finished fifth in the big 12 this year. Uh, they're already ranking fourth in the big 12 for next year. And they're ranking, and this is going to sound crazy. And once again, it's early people, I get it, but they're currently ranked 14th in the 2022 class. Uh, so, you know, people are definitely liking what's going on at Baylor. And I think that they're definitely ascending. In the right direction, but I'm not ready to put them in a, as a nine and ten win ball club going into next season.
0: Eight eight wins is I I would not necessarily call that conservative. A, it's not. It's not. Uh, I mean, I, I think I thought I was going out on a limb a little bit, feeling maybe two positives for several teams <laughs> yeah. in a row, thinking they'll be able to go from two wins back to bowl eligibility. But
2: I mean, well, I mean, you look at their schedule, and I just think
0: where do they?
2: There's there are a lot of right winnable
0: on. games. There yeah. are a lot of winnable games. I agree. But, I mean, I, I'm really high, we've talked about it before, on Oklahoma. I'm really high on Iowa State. Uh, Oklahoma State is, is, you know, a top 30, top 40 yeah. team. West Virginia is probably going to be top 40, you know, maybe maybe have a, a ceiling in the top 25 next year. Texas, I think, is, is uh, you know, going to be – just as good as they were last year if not better under Steve Sarkeesian you know TCU I think has a step to you know chance to take a step forward so it's it's not that those games aren't winnable but they're certainly losable as well so you know when when that's the situation and you've got one after the other Iowa State, Oklahoma State, West Virginia, BYU, Texas, TCU, Oklahoma that is a tough middle but, part of the year and and one loss could spiral into two and yes. three. And and so, you know, if you can knock off the games that, that probably are, are, are coin flips, I mean, right now I'd say it's probably a coin flip against West Virginia, probably be a slight favorite against BYU just based on how much they lost, especially yes. at home, but they're probably going to be underdogs in the rest of those games. And, and so, you know, to expect them to make, you know, to, to pull off one or two upsets is... Is tough. So, I mean, yeah, if everything clicked, eight wins isn't impossible. But I, I think right now we have to expect five, and, and then, you know, you, you win a couple of coin flips, get to seven, and maybe, you know, w- at the really high end of reaching their potential is eight. So, uh, yeah, I just, it, it's possible. There's certainly a team that has a lot of room to move. And there are, you know, we talked about before, teams with a, a wide range of possible outcomes. It's not unheard of that they win three games, you know. Or, or, yeah, or, that's or fair. Four. So, But I certainly do see a path to eight. But it's going to be a lot of things lining up uh, and, and sort of clicking to to get there. It's going to be difficult. But five, six, yeah, certainly I, I think
2: it's possible. I mean, on the positive side, they only leave the state of Texas three times next year. So, yeah. I mean... I mean, you get some home cooking. You get some confidence under your belt. And that's really when, when I look at their schedule. That is why I think they can get to seven or eight because they don't have kind of that, that gauntlet that some teams face where you start November off with, like, four-ranked teams and you get, you know, slaughtered. Scott, you're muted. Yeah, you know, you, you, know you, you get slaughtered by, you know, the top of the Big 12 when you get, like, an Iowa State, a Texas, and an Oklahoma back-to-back, and then your confidence is shot, and so you what? lose to a TCU.
1: What are their road, Texas games?
2: Um, TCU. TCU
1: and Texas,
2: right? And that's it. No, no. no. That, Texas is at home. Texas is at home. Texas Tech is at home. Um, they play Texas State and TCU away.
1: Okay. Those are the only yeah, two. I mean, yeah, those, those are winnable. Two
2: yeah, mm-hmm. those, those are They're definitely two winnable. Uh,
1: the, the next squad up here is Colorado. And uh, Colorado started out hot, you know, 4-0 uh, to nice. start the season. They uh, lost to Texas in the Alamo Bowl, of course, you know, uh, got stomped (laughs) in the Alamo Bowl, of course. Uh, But they returned their top 12 in Bill Connolly's returning production. So uh, there's a lot to be excited about for Colorado, but the schedule gets much, much tougher, Nick. And uh, they bring in a 64th ranked class, uh, recruiting class, which is nice overall, kind of middle of the pack, but 10th in the pack 12. Uh, Seven transfers out, three transfers in. A couple of coaches getting bumped. Bryant Cook is the new tight ends coach. Chris Wilson, the new D.C., bumping up from the defensive line. Mark Smith comes in. He's going to uh, coach linebackers there. So a, li- a couple changes on the staff, but uh, the schedule does get a lot harder in 2021, Nick.
0: Yeah, and, and Colorado was definitely a pleasant surprise. I absolutely did not expect uh, for them to have a winning record. I did not expect for them to go to a bowl game, even though – you know, sort of were exposed a little bit late in the year and, and lost those final two games, getting blown out a little bit by uh, Texas, you know, it, it still was an impressive performance for Carl Durrell, who most, you know, most people really didn't uh, have favorable views, you know, when he was hired, just like you know, Carl Durrell, he hadn't been a head of coach in over a decade and, and uh, you know, just it, it kind of came out of nowhere. People didn't have very high expectations, but, absolutely, you know, got off to a great start, basically the opposite of, of what uh, Dave Aranda was able to do. All that said, and, and, and I am, for the most part, pretty positive, and, and in every team that we've talked about so far uh, today, at least, and, and a lot of the teams we've talked about to this point, I've I've been relatively... Uh, you know, had a, a pretty favorable view, and and can can look on the bright side and see, okay, this team can get better. I'm not sure Colorado can get better uh, from from 2020 to you know 2021 because uh, one, you know, you mentioned the schedule is is a lot more difficult. It was very very favorable the way it shook out uh, last year, and and you know just sort of the the circumstances they were able to get UCLA early, they were able to get Stanford early. Uh, you know, able to, to you know pick up wins in in those games that had they played UCLA at the end of the season, had they played Stanford at the end of the season, not sure Colorado would have been able to win those games. They you know picked up a, a very rare non-conference game against San Diego State, where they had uh, you know the more talented team. They played Arizona, who was absolutely spiraling there at the end. So. Uh, very, very favorable in those first four games and then played a, a you know, tougher Utah team and a, a Texas team who's far, far more talented. And it just, you know, they, they weren't quite able to keep up. And I don't really see that changing. I, I, I agree that there are some positive, you know, spots. And, and one thing that I think Carl Durrell did and, and Dave Miranda did this as well Neither were, you know, shy to make changes. And it would have been very easy after, you know, such a weird 2020, you know, th- your first year as a head coach for for Darrell, first time in a long time for Aranda, first time ever would have been very easy to say, okay, let's just keep, you know, the, the, the staff together. Let's try some continuity and build from there. Well, both those guys said, you know, we, we have changes we need to make. And Darrell made a switch at defensive coordinator, despite Colorado putting up some pretty solid numbers in, in several uh, categories. They were a little bit all over the place, but they were 23rd in yards per play allowed. They were 7th in success rate against. They were 28th in EPA per play on defense. But on the flip side of that, they were 103rd in yards per play allowed. And they were 56th and points per drive allowed. So very sort of all over the, the place there. I know they gave up a lot of points, but there were some some things to to really kind of like about the Colorado defense. And a couple of that was really high-end players. Carson Wells ranked among the the tops in the country in uh, you know tackles for loss per game and and you know had 15 production points for a team that basically played half a season is you know pretty pretty unheard of incredible pace. Mustafa Johnson, one of the best pass rushers in the Pac-12. Well, he's off to the NFL. And then Nate Landman who, you know, talk about production, has been incredibly incredibly productive. He's had 35 production points throughout his entire career, started, you know, 30 games and and he will be a super senior but suffered an Achilles injury uh in December last season and and so it you think he's going to be fully healthy by the time the season starts, but you know, that's a little bit of an issue. You got two former starters in the secondary enter the transfer portal. You've got a starting linebacker and kill Jones enter the transfer portal. Katie Nixon, your, you know, most talented receiver transferred to USC. There's certainly some guys, you know, there that, that, you can potentially build and build upon with, uh, you know, Vontae Chenault who's had a little bit of, uh, issue, you know, staying out of the doghouse, but Brendan Rice did some good things as a true freshman. Uh, Jerry Rice's son, I believe, uh, Dimitri Stanley's had some success in the past. Jalen Jackson is an all conference return man. And then we know what the running back position was. Jarek Broussard came out of nowhere, had, you know, not played, down I don't believe uh until last year his his third year sophomore season becomes a Pac-12 offensive player of the year put up huge huge numbers so he and a healthy you hope uh Alex Fontenot who was a starter and and did a lot of good things in 2019 that gives you a, a solid base but you know the quarterback position despite Sam Neuer being you know athletic for the for the position despite him actually uh somehow being a second team all pack 12 performer that's going to be a three-way competition for his job. Brendan Lewis uh you know showed some real signs of potential in the Alamo bowl and then they also brought in JT Shrout, who started a game at Tennessee and and was you know among those guys certainly the uh, most highly recruited coming out of high school, though he hasn't really lived up to that yet. But, you know, I fully expect Lewis or Shroud both uh, to to really, you know, maybe one of those guys comes out of fall camp as the starter, despite Neuer coming back uh, for his senior season and despite him being an all Pac-12 second teamer last year. So, you know, the offensive line was pretty good for the most part, but they lose William Sherman, their best uh best performer and left tackle starting left tackle last season. So I don't know. I I just I I don't really see Colorado being able to build upon 2020 unfortunately because the schedule is incredibly difficult. Uh after, you know, opening up against Northern Colorado and FCS team, your non-conference is uh Texas A&M and Minnesota and then The teams that they play in the Pac-12, they play the top six, top seven teams, probably. I mean, Arizona State, USC, Oregon, UCLA, Washington, Utah. They play all of those teams next season. So, I mean, don't be shocked if Colorado in a full season actually doesn't even get back to four wins next year. Think they'll beat Northern Colorado? Probably should beat Arizona. Oregon State is definitely winnable. But... I just, they are not more talented than, you know, probably, they're going to be at a talent disadvantage in probably eight games. And despite some real positive signs, despite a a very pleasant surprise in Carl Durrell's first season, despite, you know, Jerick Broussard's breakout and some productive players on defense, I just don't think, The depth is there. I just don't think the the raw talent is there. And and unfortunately, the schedule is just not doing them any favors. I think Colorado will probably start next season in the 80s in our power rankings. And I wouldn't be shocked at all if they just sort of get beat down, you know, by a lot of uh, more talented teams to the point where their team performance rating, you know, drops into the 80s, 90s, 100s, and and they finished the 2021 season in the 90s, in the 100s, in our power rankings. I think Colorado, unfortunately, overachieved last year and and just is sort of set up to take a big, you know, relatively big uh, step back in in 2021.
1: Xavier, what are your thoughts on uh, Colorado going into this year? Like uh, Nick said, impressive last year, but uh, scheduled much, much tougher this year.
2: I could not agree more with Nick. I don't think I've ever said that on a podcast, but I could not agree more with Nick on this one. I think Colorado got lucky last year. I mean, you you really did play the bottom half of the uh, the, the Pac-12 last year. I mean, Arizona, one of the worst teams in the Pac-12. UCLA, a middling team, but not great. Stanford had a really poor year last year. Uh, and, and the only you know good team that they played was Utah. You know, and or, you know, and, and I think that that showed that really the Texas game showed where they actually belonged. I think Texas was a very talented team next year, or excuse me, last year, and that is where they met their maker. And we saw what happened in that game. And you look at their schedule coming into this year one in four might be what they start. I mean, you start with Northern Colorado, then you have AM, Minnesota, at Arizona State, UCF, or excuse me, USC, all before your bye week. That's a one and four start to me, and, and after that, it doesn't get much better. But I, I, I agree with Nick. Four wins might be the maximum for this ball club going into the next year. Uh, you know, are are they better than Cal? No. Are they better than Oregon? Obviously not. Washington, no. Oregon State is probably a toss up when we if we run the numbers. UCLA, no. And, and at Utah, at the end of the year, that might be another toss up for them. But I'm not sold on the the impressive year that they had last year whatsoever. Uh, you know recruiting wise they've kind of fell off of a ledge they, they were 36th in the year prior they finished 64th this year uh, they were seventh in the year prior they finished 10th this year uh, and I don't I just don't see where they make that or where they continue on the the streak that they had last year when personally I think they got lucky and, and played a, a very very bad schedule or very excuse me Good schedule for them because they were playing a lot of easy and favorable games for themselves last year. Uh, I'm not big on them whatsoever. Uh, I think Nick's absolutely right. Three to four wins for this ball club. And if they get anywhere near bowl eligibility, I will be thoroughly shocked.
1: Now the next squad up here is Kent state. And uh, I think we all know the story with Kent state is really, really good offense, really, really bad defense and uh, not surprising that uh you know the the defense was rough you know last year mac teams aren't really known for their defensive production but uh they ranked 120th overall in returning production which could be good uh could be bad you know uh xavier's old saying you know uh old trash stinks worse but uh you know the uh the the defense is losing some of that too being rough last year so uh Nick what are your thoughts on Kent State going in they come in with 110th ra- 118th ranked recruiting class and 11th in the Mac which is not great 10 transfers out only three coming in too so a lot of moving pieces here for Kent State yeah and and I will
0: I won't spend a ton of time on it but I will Push back just a little bit on one thing Xavier said about Stanford. They didn't have a terrible year. I've had a, a surprisingly – I didn't expect them to, to have a winning season. I think they improved a good bit over uh, after that Colorado game. But but anyway, we'll, we'll get to Stanford soon enough. Uh, but Kent State, yeah, absolutely, you're right. The offense was among the best in in college football, and the defense was among the worst. And, you know, unfortunately – I I don't know that I learned a ton about Kent State because even though, you know, uh, just looking at the numbers, offensively there's a lot to like they were fourth in the country in yards per pass attempt uh, on offense they were third in points per drive second in epa per play offense, second in success rate third in yards per play i mean they're elite elite numbers not just in you know raw traditional stats but in a lot of these uh, advanced numbers that, that i think do a little bit jo- uh, better job of contextualizing and and being more specific as to uh, what a, whether a team really is as good as as we think it is, just looking at at you know yards and points and and things like that. But the the flip side of that is they only played four games, and two of those games were against Bowling Green and Akron. And yeah, I mean you know there there is a lot to like with Dustin Crumb. They had four running backs that, that were good enough to, uh, you know, gain over 200 yards on the ground. Uh, they, they, you know, had a playmaker at wide receiver and Isaiah McCoy, who was impressive enough to leave school early, not just, you know, say, no, I don't want the extra year of eligibility, but actually leave as a junior for the NFL draft, so they're going to miss him. They brought in some transfers, some pretty pretty high-profile guys. Brought in uh, Nikhim Johnson from Syracuse. Uh, they have you know some. Uh, they brought in uh, PK Kier from Virginia at the running back position to add to that competition with all four guys coming back. And and then defensively, they've tried to you know shore up some trouble spots, especially in the secondary and, and at linebacker with some, you know, P5 transfers or, or guys that, uh, you know, or have played some football at, at, at some bigger schools or, you know, so they're they're trying to fix the problems on defense. And, and that certainly is important. Uh, but, you know, again, going back to that, that point about that, they played Bowling Green and Akron, Well, you know, they put up uh, terrible, terrible defensive numbers with that being half of their schedule. 107th in yards per play allowed, 100th in EPA per play on defense, 112th in points per drive allowed, 99th in success rate against. They were a little bit better against uh, the pass. They actually ranked top 50 in yards per pass attempt allowed, but. I mean, that's, you know, we're, we're talking really, really, really bad numbers, and <laughs> a lot of that was they gave up over 400 yards and eight touchdowns on the ground to Jared Patterson in Buffalo and 70 points in that last game, so that, you know, things can get out of hand pretty quickly when you're going up against an All-American player, you know, like that, and, and a team that, we're, it'll be a little while before we talk about Buffalo. They finished in the top 30 in our, our power rankings last year, but uh, but still, I mean, it's such a small sample and such a weird mix of teams that despite a lot of real positive signs, I don't know that Kent state can really improve a ton. I know they went to a bowl game in 2019. I know that they had the, the, you know, top offense in the country and, and, uh, or one of the, one of the top three, top five offenses in the country and a lot of different uh, ways of thinking about it. But, the talent, as you mentioned, just you know the depth, and and it, it's not really there. I mean, they they rank uh, 124th at the running back position, despite some guys who've done some good things in our final talent numbers there uh, from last year. 83rd at receiver, and that includes McCoy, who's off to the NFL. 93rd on the offensive line, 87th offensively. They have the 87th most talented offense in the country, according to our numbers. That that's you know not. Not a, a gray. I mean, it's it's still decent for the MAC, but uh, overall, you know, those aren't the numbers that you expect to translate to a top five offense. And then defensively, they actually rank towards the bottom of the MAC in in several categories. 125th overall in our defensive line uh, numbers, as far as their roster strength goes. 122nd at the linebacker position, and 116th in defense as a whole. So. Even though they brought in a, a couple of talented guys, even though uh, they actually, despite some some numbers ranking among the lowest in in returning production, you know a lot of guys are coming back. But you know Kent State people are going to be picking them, I think, to win the MAC because of Dustin Crumb, uh, and it certainly could happen. But. I wouldn't be surprised at all if, if Kent State actually takes a little bit of a step back in our power rankings. I mean, they they could beat anybody in the MAC. They can compete with the, the teams that we expect to be towards the top of our power rankings in the conference, Buffalo, Western Michigan, Central Michigan, uh, but they're going to get beat up early. They open with Texas A&M. They play at Iowa. They play at Maryland, who I think actually will be uh, a bit improved, especially on, on offense. Maryland might put up. 70 points against Kent State next year. and then you know it, it, they're they're capable of beating anybody in the Mac, but they're also capable to losing uh, I guess about half the teams as well, I think. So it's going be it's going to be tough for them to improve upon you know this mid 70s finish. I wouldn't be shocked if, if they start you know 80th, 85th, something in that range. Uh, and, and then maybe even slip a little bit and, and end the season in the nineties and the one hundreds if they get upset uh you know in conference play once or twice or or you know can't quite compete in, in what we expect might be a coin flip game against Buffalo or Western Michigan or Ohio. So uh they certainly could. I mean they have the potential and, and they've put up enough numbers to make you think that they're going to be a dangerous team. They might, you know, put a scare in Texas AM. They might put a scare in Iowa, but I just I don't necessarily see this as being a coastal Carolina type season, you know, or 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 even a Louisiana or or something like that. It's going to be difficult, I think, for Kent State to be the G five darling, you know, top twenty five team by the end of the year. I just I just I see more scenarios working out uh, for them to take a step back slightly than take a big step forward.
1: Xavier Kent State is gonna make Maction a lot of fun I'll say that oh, because uh, they're gonna be you know scoring a lot of points and then giving up a lot of points so uh, you know for CFF people and for fantasy people it's gonna be uh, they're gonna be a lot of fun to watch but doesn't mean they're gonna be a good overall team kind of like Nick alluded to they could play pretty much anybody tough on their schedule uh most of the, these teams tough but You could see them dropping these games because they give up so much on defense. So uh, your thoughts on uh, Kent State going into 2021?
2: They, to an extent, they kind of remind me of Texas Tech last year. Their offense was so good. It was an explosive offense all year. And you felt like they could hang with anybody offensively but you felt like at some point the defense was just going to give up too many points and the offense wasn't going to be able to put enough together. And that is what I see with Kent state. I see, I see a team that offensively could absolutely win them a couple of ball games, Uh, but defensively it it is going to always allow other teams to stay in that game. So if, if the offense has an off day, you know how bad of a game could that end up becoming. Uh, and, and when we talk about the MAC, there's just so much turnover in that conference from year to year, and there's so many question marks in that conference that you know you really just try to look for some morsel of like consistency. Uh, and, and their offense absolutely will be that that morsel of consistency. And I think that you know, whereas explosive as that offense can be, the defense has to get stops. They have to. You think right? They they, they have to have learned from their mistakes last year and learn that as good as our offense is, if we don't get stops defensively, we're not going to be able to do much, uh, much of anything. Uh, And and so, and it's really hard to pull from them last year because of such a small sample size. Um, mm, Let's see. What do I, do I want to, do I want to go out on the ledge here? Yeah, let's do it. I I think Kent state can be a team that that wins nine games next year. Uh, I think their offense is just that good. Uh, I think, you know, if you're a betting man, once again, I think, to get put a little bit of money on Texas a- on Kent State against Texas A&M wouldn't be a bad bet to make. Uh, Texas A&M is replacing a lot of talent, and obviously they're losing Kellen Mond. I think that this is an opportunity for a, a potent offense to surprise an SEC team and maybe catch them slipping a bit. Uh, so I wouldn't be surprised there at all. I think by the time they meet Iowa, their offense would have been on full display, and we know how ugly Iowa makes it, so I don't think they're going to win that ball game. and same thing with Maryland. I think Maryland is a team that is going to is, is ascending. We talked about them earlier. They're a team that's on the rise. they're not there yet, but they're getting there. Uh, when it comes to the Mac, like I said, Nick said it. And I, I kind of want to drink the Kool-Aid. They, are there a team that can compete for the MAC? Yes. Um, but once again, I have so many question marks for them defensively. They're a team that I'm going to have to wait till like week four after the non-conference schedule is up for me to really say if they can compete in the MAC uh, week weekend and week out. I'm comfortable saying seven to eight wins. Um, I, I'm going to pull back on my ledge a little bit. I think nine was a little bit of a, an overstatement. Uh, I'm comfortable with seven to eight wins for this ball club. I think they're, On the recruiting trail, I'm not going to look too much into it uh, simply because of the fact that I think that they didn't recruit so heavy this year because of how good they are offensively. And if you know anything about recruiting – Typically, their, their offensive guys make up the the big numbers and the big ratings when they're coming to recruiting on recruiting uh, networks. So I'm not going li- to I'm not going to look at it too much from that respect, because I think that they believe in the guys that they already have. Uh, but seven, to eight wins for this team is very much feasible uh, for Kent State this year. And I think they can compete in the Mac and, and possibly win the Mac next year. I mean, heck, how many times we say that about a Mac team just because of how much turnovers in that conference from year to year. But I genuinely feel like they can compete for the Mac next year.
1: All right, the last team up uh, for uh, 81 to 70 or, uh, yeah, um, yeah, 81 to 70 here, 80 to 71, my bad. Keep screwing <laughs> up my numbers here, is Georgia Southern. And Georgia Southern had a great year uh, last mm-hmm. year. They were 8 and 5, uh, you know, uh, played some close games, but they are ranked 119th in returning production. Mm-hmm. So they're losing a ton. Uh, Wirtz obviously gone, uh, Duncan gone. They both transferred to Louisville. So a lot of, uh, you know, moving and shaking as far as the roster goes. 91st-ranked recruiting class, fourth in the Sun Belt, so that's not bad. Uh, nine transfers out, three transfers in. And a lot of uh, coaches shifting here. Doug Roos uh, becoming the OC. He was a tight end coach last year. Derek Sherman uh, is the receivers coach coming over from Sanford, Joe Graves moves to... Uh, tight end and special teams coordinator from ULM last year. So a lot of uh mo- moving pieces here, and not a lot coming back, Nick. So uh, what are your thoughts on Georgia Southern going into 2021?
0: Yeah, I don't know if I'm uh maybe I'm just getting hungry or something, but but I've been on a little bit of a pessimistic kick here towards the end of the the show, and, and <laughs> I think I, I think I feel almost uh I I, I wouldn't quite pl- quite put them in the same category as Colorado because they did. Yeah. They did earn their way to eight wins last year. But I, I do have a similar feeling where it just seem, it seems obvious to me that we should expect Georgia Southern to take a step back. And, and part of that is losing Wertz. I mean, he's a guy who had over 40 career starts, almost 50 career starts at quarterback. Uh, and, and he's going on to you know uh, give himself a, a better shot at the next level by switching probably to a primary receiver role at louisville uh i'm sure they'll use them in a variety of ways but that seems to be the early thought is, is he's going to be moving to receiver and then you mentioned some of the guys that that they lost on defense duncan you know also going to louisville but they lost their best two players uh you know a defensive line and, and linebacker and raymond johnson the third and rashad bird both of those guys going off to the nfl draft they're also losing, you know, just one full-time starter on the offensive line, but a pretty good one in, in Drew Wilson as well. And then the transfer portal has been really pretty active. And, you know, at the beginning of the show, I mentioned Fresno State had, you know, 8, 9, 10, something like that. And most of them weren't major contributors. Georgia Southern, the guys who are leaving, you know, in addition to works, who is about if you're going to lose your starting quarterback and a guy that really has led you the last three years or, or more, but you're losing starting wide receivers, you're losing guys who played a lot of football, you know, had carries at the running back position, multiple, uh, you know, three uh, defensive backs on the two deep, so it's it's a bit of an issue, and then they had some off the field. Uh, stuff as well. Wesley Kennedy, the third, one of the most explosive offensive players, was suspended uh, along with three of his teammates in November of last year, missed the end of the season and, uh, you know, is is probably not coming back. Everything I've, I've read so far indicates that Kennedy is not coming back. A couple of the uh, defensive guys that were involved might have an opportunity to come back. But, you know, you did bring in James Graham, former starting quarterback at Georgia Tech. Seems like a good fit for the offense. Not sure he's quite as explosive as words, but somebody that, you know, will at least uh soften the blow a little bit. And then I mentioned Amari Jones when we talked about Tulane. I think that that he might have been the most talented running back Tulane had and just seemed for one way, you know, one reason or another, uh didn't get the football enough. But, you know, he fits the mold of what they did with Wesley Kennedy. So those two guys, you know, they'll they'll give Georgia Southern something to build upon. And then defensively, I mean, Derek Canteen was uh one of the biggest surprises, uh, maybe in in college football, as far as a uh corner goes. Guy who's a redshirt freshman, played in only three games in 2019, steps up and and has a huge, huge year, you know, interception right among the nice na- uh national leaders, had 17 production points according to our numbers. So, you know, Excellent, excellent year. Certainly something you can build upon, but they're they're losing a lot of guys who were seniors, who were uh their best players, you know, outside of of canteen and Randy Wade has played a lot of ball as well, an edge rusher, you know, but but when you're losing Johnson and Bird and Duncan and Words and Wilson, I mean, you know, it's difficult for a Sunbelt team to replace. The top, you know, five, six, seven players on its roster from one year to the next, especially when you consider a lot of other teams in the conference are bringing back a lot of production. So, you know, Georgia Southern is is because they play a unique style of football, because they were able to to potentially uh, fill some holes at, at key spots, so that they're not going to just see a, a massive, massive drop off at quarterback at running back. Uh, but, you know, I, I just think that, that it's going to be very, very difficult for them to get back to eight wins next year. You know, the non conference schedule is tough. They play FAU. They play at Arkansas, who's the team on the rise. Uh, they play BYU. They might go 0 3 in, in the non conference. And then they play, you know, the, the teams that we expect to be at the top of the Sunbelt standings as well. They play App State. They play Coastal Carolina. They play Louisiana. They play Troy, who I, you know, we mentioned earlier is a team on the rise. I think Georgia State is a team on the rise. Georgia Southern might be an underdog in seven or eight games next year, according to our numbers. So, you know, if if things play out like that, four wins, five wins, that that seems reasonable and, and that seems strange because Georgia Southern has been very successful, very consistent, but you know, they're losing a lot of their their best players. So I, I just I just don't necessarily see them taking a, a step forward. I, I bet, you know, they, they finished last year 71st. I expect that they will start in our in our power rankings next year, probably somewhere in the, the mid to maybe late 90s. I mean, they're, they're a team that we're not going to have very high expectations for. They absolutely could overachieve that. And, you know, similar to what we said about Army, uh, the style of play that they – that they use particularly on offense gives them a chance to overcome some talent disadvantages, but they're going to be a, a talent disadvantage in, in more games than not next season. So it's difficult for me to, to expect uh, Georgia Southern to, to really come close to eight wins next year. I, I think if they get to 500 and, and make it back to a bowl, that that will be a, a job well done. It, it's going to be difficult, I think to avoid you know, a four win,
1: five win type season. Xavier, what do you think they're a four to five win uh, team or do you think they can uh, bump up a little better than that?
2: I don't know. And, and, you know, Nick was kind of talking music to my ears when I heard four to five wins, but I just genuinely think that's because of the loss of shy words. Like we've got to realize that this, he carried. He has carried that university on his back for the last two to three years. I mean, barring the the the, the a little bit of legal trouble that he was in a couple of years ago, he's that played. That was not his fault. Right? Yeah. exactly. Right, but he's played every, almost every game for them at a high level. Uh, and and when you lose such an impactful piece of your university like that uh, to the transfer portal, you know, it, it's you kind of wonder what they're gonna look like offensively with him not there. Uh, and you know, Nick hit around the head. And not only is he leaving, but his top two receivers gone. You know, his his top tight end out of eligibility. Uh you know, he you know, their one of their older running backs out of there as well. And so it feels like there's almost a changing of the guard happening at Georgia Southern and they're almost starting from scratch it feels like on offense at least. Uh and, and you and that doesn't bode well in a year where I feel like there's a lot of teams that were under them that are ascending you know we talked about Troy we talked about Georgia State in this episode that are getting better um right underneath you as you're losing probably the best player in Georgia Southern history over the over the last four to you know over the last four years so like I, I think that they're in a very tough spot uh going forward and, and and you know you look at their schedule and I don't see where they get to six wins. You know, they they start with Gardner Webb, I'd give them that, but then they go at Florida Atlantic, which isn't a cakewalk and at and at Arkansas. That shouldn't, that's not going to be two easy wins if they're able to pull either one of them off. Uh, and then you get right into Louisiana, like where a way to start the year off. Then you get an Arkansas State team that we talked about in a couple episodes ago. is not going to be a cakewalk by any means. They're going to be a a decent team. We don't expect them to be uh, you know, a middle of the row, top-tier Sunbelt team, but they're gonna be pretty good. Uh, then you go to Troy and then you go to South Alabama where to Troy is not going to be a cakewalk. We think that they're going to be one of the best better teams, excuse me, in the Sun Belt. And then to finish the year off <laughs> and you get Georgia state coastal and app all in about a month that that's awful. That's, you know, not, not fun, not fun in the slightest. And so I, I don't, I don't see where Georgia Southern is able to put together enough upset victories to get to six wins. Uh, you know, even on the recruiting trail this year, they've been, kind of where they were last year so they're they're kind of staying pat they they finished sixth in the, uh some about this year they finished sixth last year they finished 103rd nationally where they hun- finished 120th the year before uh but I, I just don't you lose that much that important of a talent that important leadership more importantly uh, on a on a ball club that now is going to be relying on some guys that we have not seen play for georgia southern whatsoever i just don't see where they find the 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 opportunity to get to six wins I'm comfortable saying four. I think they take a significant dip uh, in the Sun Belt next year because, once again, the teams under them have are getting better as well, and it's just not a good time to lose this much talent all at one time.
1: All right, well, that is going to wrap it up for us this week. So we will see you guys next week to talk. We're doing linebackers, right? Is that the plan?
0: We are, and and I think because I did read the uh, excuse me, because I did run those team performance. Uh, you know plus or minus compared to to 2019 I think unless we get some major news and and maybe we'll have uh, you know some news on the Kansas front or or who knows what will come up uh, from big time transfers or anything like that but I think if it's a relatively slow news week uh, we can dig into those numbers a little bit before we get to the linebacker transfer so look at you know who's the most improved team in college football, who's, you know, among those top 10 units that made the biggest jump, maybe some of the most disappointing took a big step in the right, you know, in the, in the wrong direction. Who's, who's there with Baylor among the uh, teams in the you know 127, 126 uh, range as, as far as uh, taking a, taking a big step back. So if we've got the time, we'll, we'll dig into those, but absolutely. Yeah. We're, we're working on linebackers for transfers and NFL draft and then, uh, we'll do uh, the defensive backs after that, and and then we'll be looking for something else to talk about. But we know it'll be, we know it'll be something.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it, it's it, there's never a big offseason for college football. You know, with a hundred and thirty teams plus FCS and all that stuff, there's always stuff happening. So uh, remember, you can follow us all on Twitter at. Uh, at CFB CFB winning edge for Nicholas Ian Allen at Xavier underscore Trish T-R-I-C-H-E for Xavier at Bogman sports for me. And I'm going to get out of here to end my stroke. So we will see you guys next week. Take it easy, everybody.
0: Thank you to our Patreon supporters for keeping our show ad free and for funding our wide range of college football analytics projects. Thanks also to Blake Austin for our theme music. To learn more about CFB winning edge, Visit patreon.com slash or follow us on Twitter at CFB Winning Edge.